At Utility Muffin Labs, we are dedicated to accommodating our consumer clients with uncontrived, austere, generalized, and adequate snack-based comestible muffin provisions for your cafeteria or common staff member gathering areas. We refrain from overt decorative adornment that can foment jobholder chaos and sedition. A saccharine workforce is a productive workforce. Procure your necessary muffin repository by visiting us at utilitymuffinlabs.com, on Facebook at Utility Muffin Labs, on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM, or Utility Muffins, all one word. On Instagram at Utility Muffin Labs, one word. Support the labs on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade. And finally, adorn your human form with our t-shirts at tpublic.com slash users slash Utility Muffin Labs. Utility Muffin Labs, think homogenous. This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome once again to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I am Nathan. And I'm Bob. And today we're going to be discussing and reviewing the very awesome Montreal by Night by the Black Dog Game Factory imprint of White Wolf. Dun, 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 dun. So, Montreal by Night. Uh, it's one of the last second edition books, and it is uh, very much different than any other city book that has come thus far uh, for a number of reasons. Um, when we get into the book here, they talk to us about like why Black Dog, why that imprint. Well, uh, there's a lot of adult themes here, for sure. The Sabbat, um, it's not, I wouldn't say gratuitous. It's not like overtly sexual or violent, but it is all of those things. But the Sabbat, by and large, are a much darker version of Vampire the Masquerade. If you're coming from a Camarilla perspective, it... Uh, definitely has the tendency to be much less humane, much less romantic in the, like the traditional sense, wouldn't you say? It's it's a sect at war. I mean, that's bottom line what it comes down to. This isn't going to be, oh, look how lovely it developed and look how wondrous we've been doing with it. It's no, it was founded in war, has some unique elements in knee deep in that the mortals warred with the Sabbat first when they got here. I mean, it is something that is uh, unique to this element and also because there is a smack dab element of the demonic yeah in the book as well you cannot tell a story about hell and it'd be pg-13 <laughs> it's, it's that true. simple it's you're gonna true. you're gonna step on religions you're gonna you're gonna shit in the mouth of anybody who takes who takes a knee roll the big guy in the sky it's just gonna happen because they're opposites right and to tell a good tale you gotta have a good villain this is the city book for the villains it's that simple. And what's Vampire the Masquerade, Bob? We're all villains. True, but there's yeah. always worse. Right. And the Sabbat is by and large thought to be the sole end-all be-all villains for that of the Masquerade. Right. It's, it's not true. It just depends on which flavor you want. You want to suck that war with packs and go around and get stuff done? This is the book for you. If you're looking for backstabbery and political one-upmanship, well, that's the Camarilla. And those are the two flavors you get. Right. And this book honors, of course, the Sabbat. Much everything you said. 
Now, when we think of Black Dog, we've had what? So far, we've shot. Uh, right? We really haven't had anything, like, shocking from Black Dog yet. I feel that the Giovanni Last Supper was, of course, shocking. The, the, first, uh, the first installment of that book and their treatment of the mortals that you had was something there's been no guidance right. as to how dark a vampire could get, which was the point of the book. And when that comes out and that's released and how the vampires actually treat mortals, it's, wow, this, yeah. this is how they actually are. That's what I mean by shocking. Shocking you, mm-hmm. it's not been written. Right. Shocking me, good luck. It's, you, you couldn't even find it. I mean, it's that simple. We are fans of horror. We are not going to be, oh. So, I mean, we've seen Cannibal Holocaust. It's <laughs> that simple. That's my go-to. You, you, got, you got a hell of a thing to beat there. <coughs> but what this book does do is it draws out the nightmare elements that normally are hidden by a Camarilla think tank. Right. Things that are swept under the rug that the Sabbat leave in the open. And they do it on purpose. For instance, I want to get one mentality out of the way that you're going to be thinking the entire time you go over this. Well, if they're, if they're so gratuitous with their violence and so out there, how come the hunters don't kill them? Oh, that's because that's a Sabbat game. Right, right. <laughs> See, when the hunters come to town, FBI, doesn't matter. The Sabbat are like, cool. <laughs> right. Well, one of us are going to get the glory of killing them. I wonder right. who that's going to right. be. Uh, in, in here, they have a they have a tale of uh, what do they call it? The unknown, and they have a list of fires that have spread throughout the city from like the seventeen hundreds. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. So, but behold that thought. Right, hold that thought because it's good stuff. So this stuff's going to shock you. We got to roll it out in order, like we do every other city book, because this is definitely unique in its shock value and to to kind of kick the pig. It's understanding how it was even founding. It was really in- interesting, right? I don't know if you caught that, uh, but it's it Cartier mm-hmm. who who founds who literally coins the phrase Mountain Royale. He right. ca- he as he called it. It's this big mound he saw when he gets there, and it was like literally just Mont Royal. All right, it's a small little mountain in the middle of this island, and probably one of us pronounced it too fast, and then it gets called Montreal, right? right? And he was just like, "No, it's Mont Royal." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like Montreal if you yeah, say yeah, it fast. That's what it is, right? Montreal. That's what, yeah. that's what it is. Why? Because we were, were touched at that point. And then we don't want to bog you down with a history lesson. It's just it's interesting how this was found, right? It's discovered, and once it's heard that there is land over here, the assumption was that North America has hidden riches. That's all that Europe heard, was that this is the land of plenty. There's plenty of farmland, which is true. There's plenty of game. This is also true. And back then, those were the riches, which was right. agriculture. So we were going to expand from Europe to head over there, especially when ye old American middle finger was given to the to the British crown and they fled, right? Fun fact, it's not the only people who decided to leave to go find elsewhere. France was on the move. This is one of the areas they, they scouted, right? France and Spain kind of hand in hand. You heard this when we talked about New Orleans. Right. You know, they were the first to hit those shores. Right. Look at this. Montreal. Mount Royal. That's it's another one that's hit first. Now, why is that important? Gotta remember the Sabbat were looking for a way out. At this point, uh, before they found Montreal proper, it's up and running. The Sabbat just got done with their uh, first civil war. They land in the states, and uh, they're at the cusp of their second. That's about to happen, and they're they're spreading out. And when they get over here, of course, they dove into the natives, like it was sliced bread, just right into them. Right. Right. Here's what you don't know, though. This place was unique. The Sabbat didn't get here first. Tortor did. Fun, it's a weird thing. This Tortor's just like, hey, you know, there's this land we heard about. Land of plenty. We're going to go there. We're going to make it fun. Uh, see you later. And he just leaves. 
And you got to consider it. Uh, they had France on lockdown. They still do. Right. This very night uh, in Canon otherwise. And they couldn't believe that this guy was leaving all his stuff. Everything he had packing, or not just leaving, packing up what he couldn't take with him. and uh, Or what he could take with him. Pardon me. Get my English down. Then he gets over here. Fun fact. Uh, that's because he's possessed. <laughs> just to help you out right. like what would make a tortoise leave right. there's a demon inside of him the, yeah uh, there's uh you'll find reading this book there is a strong strong theme of the demonic um so from a religious aspect if that's like not for you maybe this is the book to avoid um but very much demons and the demonic are incredibly deeply tied to this book <laughs> What's cool about this book, the first time you're hearing about the Bali, first and foremost, and it's very subtle, because they don't come out and say a single mention of the Bali as vampires in here at all. You would have to know the history of them, like this sicko, and I, and I do quite well, extensively. In fact, the Decani um, are like, there's like 32 demons that comprise the plague lords of the Decani that they aspire to. And uh, there's Metathiax, which is the main villain of this one. Right. There's his brother's, uh, what is it, uh... Botathotl, if I pronounce that name correct, and the third one no one cares about. The third and like fourth and fifth were just little brothers that get kicked around anyway. Right. They bear no relevance here. Those two do. Now, that said, these are also the same ones that we'll get into in the Dark Ages. Remember Constantinople by night, they'll be mentioned there. Remember the SMI clan book revised, they'll get mentioned again there. These guys are a big deal. Why? Let's just say when the Bali try to do something, we'll get to their clan book when we get to the Dark Ages supplements as well. They're the assholes who seeded this whole event that went down. Because you don't call on things that should never be mentioned ever, trying to end the world, and arrogantly think, well, we killed those who are doing the ritual. There must be no evidence left behind of them. We're safe. No. You get the Decani Lords of Hell is what you get when you don't right. clean house well. That history lesson over, that's literally Easter eggs for people to find. We know right. you will. Um, but back to here, we have a Torador possessed by Metathiax. He gets here, sees the land as is, and decides to set up shop. And this is interesting, though. Montreal goes through a process where everything that the mortals do seems to be beautiful and cool, right? Except there's retaliation every time they turn around. Right. Like, the first time this guy comes in the natives directly oppose him. They know. The natives here can sense it. They see him, and they go at it. They go at it to extinction. They lose. Right. They don't get into detail. Imagine watching The Exorcist and accepting all the good guys charge them out. Um, the, the devil wins. It's that simple. It's night and day. And he goes about his business. What they did succeed in doing is, is binding it to Mount Royale. It's that simple. And that's Metathiax. And that's all need be mentioned, because the ground, the foundation's been laid. What he started doing was building a whole area that's going to draw mortals. It's going to happen. Right. And now that he's a demon of disease. You got it. And, you know, what, what goes along with that? Well, the more people, the more chances for him to use that to his, to his potential. Exactly. And uh, that's, that's how he defeated the natives. You're living. <laughs> I'm not. Right. So... Um, they, they go down for the count. Well, uh, when we start coming back over, this you'll see a resurgence in population the whole time because, again, the game is fertile here. There's plenty of it. And there's untouched land. And strangely, 
where'd the natives go? Right. And, and, you know, the other thing too, location wise, it's, it's an Island. It's great place to land ships. It's, uh, you know, shipping, um, church goers coming in. And that's a big uh, part of it too, is that there are these groups that come come across from Europe that are like deeply entrenched in the church, uh, and hospitals. And here's where we see YA for white wolf and us. It's entertainment, right? Montreal is not a land infested by demonic church-going folk. Yeah, and, wanna... and, and that's the one thing that they they make abundantly clear too. And um, I like, you know, I'm of the personal opinion like we shouldn't have to make that clear, but um, there are a lot of people that you know they'll read this book and they might be from that area and go, oh, this is totally different from where we live. Yeah, of course it is. Right, for sure it is because it's a game. It's a dark, m- much more sinister reflection. Of the world that you live in. But fun fact, they do give you historical quotes of what, what was going on at this time in Montreal. And then they give you the, the vampiric half so you can see both. Right. You know, get an idea of what the mortals were doing and what how the vampiric half taints what is, what is going on. That is something they do throughout the book, which is very much needed and cool. And the aspect of how they develop, though. Um, why did people come here? Simple. France gets here. Spain gets here. It doesn't matter. Minothiax was possessed. He brought people. And those people that came were like, yeah, cool, good place, sent word. Word gets sent, more people came, just like Nate sent, and now we're growing. We're moving along. Um, No one counts on the... um, Let me not get ahead of that. We're ahead of the moral progress there. What are the Sabbat doing at this point? Because the Tordor here, the Sabbat were kind of finding their way. Right. Um, They have... Because they got to spread out. The Sabbat were still being hunted even when they got here by the Camarilla. It was an ongoing fight. Then their civil war kicks up, which spreads them further. Of course, we know they went south and they went north. Those are the two places they went. For whatever reason, smack dab in the middle, well, you weren't holding well. <laughs> At least not for long. <laughs> right. And that's just where they went. Now, Montreal was a slam dunk because when they get here, eh, strangely, there's no opposition. They're just hanging out. And they decide that we're going to kind of settle here. And we're going we're gonna to do good here. A lot of food, good land. This is ours. Right. It's an island. So we're cool. Didn't seem to have much going on with the Camarilla. They weren't expecting the Iroquois Nation. Right. That's the coolest aspect about this book. It's the only book where it tells you that the natives uh, put it in the behind of of the vampires. Like, you came here expecting one way, and the Iroquois War Party said otherwise. Yeah, well, uh, and from what I, I remember reading, the Sabbat are like well fuck it you know we're we're about we're gonna do what we want we're gonna you know go through skin the natives fuck them up indulge who can who's to tell us not to do it and uh they learn right away like yeah you can get away with that for a very short time right and we're gonna come and we're gonna we're gonna burn you to the ground we're we're gonna we're gonna fuck you up but what was the iroquois point of view it was the white literally the white devil right came here and, and just started wreaking havoc on their people. They were killing their kids specifically. No one knows why this happened. Even the Sabbat had no clue as to why the savagery hit the level it did here. And they were leaving the bodies stacked out like cordwood, just piling the bones up and calling it a day. This served to screw up both halves. If you were the investigative Tordor clan, which is another weird thing, the Tordor clan across the pond called this place New France. Right, it was being called New France, right. but they were like, "Well, if it's New France, are we not France?" You know. Right. So, what's what do you hear? What is going on in my colony? And someone tells them, they're like, "Oh no, we will send <laughs> right, someone. Right. This does not happen." And they get here, 
and they're like, holy shit. Like, there's like, whoa, 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 well, hang on a second. I am a colonized man of the fur <laughs> trading world. I've been fur trapping, trading with the French up and down North America. And I say this, here's the work of the red-faced devils, them Iroquois. They did this. <laughs> and the French went, so you mean to tell me that uh, these Iroquois, they come and they come to fight and they uh, decide to stack up their dead, pile them high to the sky with the skulls? This is what you say? Right. <laughs> yes, they did it in the middle of your town. Are you aware of this? If they wish to do it in secret, why pile them up on your front door, Mr. Fur Trapper Trader? Well, way we can see it, them some bitches want to fight and they're going to get their asses kicked. Right. <laughs> and then you're, and if you're the French vampire, you're like, you idiot. They, they're everywhere. Right. They're a nation of people hiding in the woods. You have here, literally here, and no army. What, what are you going to do? Well, he's an American fur trapper trader. He's going to make it happen, right? No, wrong. What French, Frenchy leaves. He's gone. You right. know, this mythical tortoise. Like, Whoa. All right. We got a report and the Camarilla decides we're going to send people. Yeah. We're going to send people and stop it before they get dug in. Right. And the whole time they're searching for the Sabbat as well. Exactly. They got to find them. What they don't realize is that this is a plan. It's a very cultivated plan because, see, the demon was bound to Mount Royale. Nah, that sucks, right? Right. Can't leave it. And they built a city away from it because that was a good place to have high vestige point and sites and whatever. Spider has been murdered. Not certain where we left off, but uh, uh, yeah, sorry about that. We had to take a little brief intermission there because there was an interloper in our home. Had to deal with it. Uh, so spiders. Uh, it's cool. It gives me a quick point uh, to recount. Um, Terrence de Beauville is the name of the vampire that came here that was possessed by uh, Metathiax. Mm-hmm. I think we gave the impression because I didn't say it out of my face hole that it was Cartier. It's of course not Cartier. He, right. Cartier's just a guy who noted the place. Right. Just a just a dude that came right. and saw and was like, yes, this is good. Market. Right. That's it. Um, now, uh, to give uh, even further insight moving on down, if you want to know, it is the, because I feel they're, they're worth mentioning because they did the research on it, it is the Hurons that were here. That Those are the natives that were here uh, at that point that were defeated by the diseased Terrence de Beauville. Now, he gets trapped. That's done. Moving on. Nate, you had mentioned the unknowns. Now, the unknowns are important, and I'm, I'm going to let you get to that, but remember at this point, um, the reason everyone came to Montreal was religious expansion. Everybody hid in that colonial ideal. Right. Because since the dawn of, of religion, everyone's donated. Everyone's always given money to them. And this is the first time religion gets really aggressive and deciding to go expanding to places they haven't been. And funny enough, the, the Christians decided coming up here would be good. Right. Uh, like you do. Uh, right. It's uh, it's one part uh, fleeing from perhaps a minority situation, one part expansion, yep. uh, one part um, capitalizing on no one being there like, hey, I can make something new for myself. So definitely. And the irony of that is that the religion getting here, the uh, they want to build an nunnery. That was the thing that they were thinking about. Right. They want to get here and build a good place for the nuns to be all legit at and then we'll have more coming yeah the hospital but it was always thought about as being a religious place that they were going to build it up on from its very inception and that's because they they got here first they got you get to do that when you get to a land first to claim it for someone you get to say what goes there sort of how it works 
And, well, we could say the Sabbat hid amongst a lot of the, the French response because it came from France to do it. Why? Got to remember, France at this time is dealing with a lot of debauchery on the Camarilla side of things. But vampiric debauchery, right? With the torture involved. People being fed upon at these nice posh parties. Um, talks of Satanism being thrown around because you had those, uh, what was that Ben Franklin club? The Hellfire, the Hellfire Club, Club that's kind of bouncing around. They had sex that popped up and people misunderstood what that was in a world of darkness, maybe not so much. And and so this is where they were like, well, let's get out of here. Right? That's the whole point. And where'd they hide? Cheekily, they come with religion. Right. And that's and that's the point. Keep it in your mind. Upon the advice of the Sombra. You got it. Right. So getting here though, they realized a couple couple of things they gotta do. One is these Sabata are crazy. That's first and foremost. The Sabati get here are just a little too keyed up. They don't know why. Second thing is, is Sabat are trying to expand, and they're just embracing damn near willy-nilly. And I, we make it sound like everyone was getting embraced like 30 days of night style something. It's not what's going on. It just means that if you figure in the lifespan of a vampire, right, immortality, that I in a century or two may want to make a chilled. Right. All the Sabat who wanted to make chilled came here. Right. Or we're doing it more frequently, which is weird. Well, and, and you have to also weigh it against the population of the area. You know, when you're talking five or six hundred people tops, maybe in a settlement and you have a dozen vampires. Yep. That's a pretty drastic overpopulation. And it's uh, and, it, and it gets well, it explodes. Right. Right. Because the population is going to get bigger and bigger as time goes on. And this is uh, straight up because when the camera intervenes, they bring people with them. The mortals are actually having a time of it. Uh, because when the Iroquois come back, there's no Hurons. They see why not. We already explained that. Violence right. is coming. And they start taking it to the Sabbat, and it's kind of in the open. Strangely, when conflict like that happens, in particular in America, uh, especially back in those days, we did not take well to the natives fighting back. No. Just didn't go well. And we've, we found friends in the most likely places, and you pull them in, and people want to put these incursions down. This this is what happens. Stuff gets put in. Except, got to remember, it wasn't just uh, America who eventually came up here. Uh, you had to deal with France. Right. France was the moneymaker here that was kind of fun and stuff going forward. Well, and uh, during that time, there is a war going on between France and England. Um, and, and, you know, over this course of, what, 100 years or so, there's a number of wars that there's... Uh, the French and Indian War, there's the revolution in the United States, um, you know, the War of Independence, there's the War of 1812. So you, you have a lot of wars. For the most part, though, you know, according to the history of this book, for the longest period of time, Montreal kind of just doesn't have to worry about it. They kind of avoid it. Well, why? It's because of the fur trapper trade. Right. That is what's bringing in money at this time. And it's and it's pretty cool to think about. They had some, well, or not, depending on how much you love animals. I mean, that's, yeah. I'm an animal lover, but understand how they're surviving, right? And it's because the, everybody wants these furs that they're finding over here and they're being sold in Europe. So these revenue streams are opened up where people are just getting money and funding and more people to come. This is how the population is growing and growing despite what the Iroquois want done. Funny enough, in here, it paints a picture that if the Sabat weren't here, the Iroquois might have held everybody off, might have been able to. You know, if if they never came, right? But they are. So, what are the problems with the Sabbat? Off the bat, they the dub title of the City of Black Miracles is because the Sabbat start calling shit the unknown. Starts happening. Take into this picture of accounting, the typical Sabbat embrace is a shovel party. 
We're going to embrace 12 people. We're going to knock them out. We're going to bury them in the earth and, you know, upside down, what have you, depending on how we felt about you during the hazing right before you get put in. Then we fill all the, all the stuff in, all the dirt in, and we sit around and wait for you to come up. We post a Sabat pack member or two, if not the whole pack watching, depending on what they had to do. And we wait for you to come up. This is all the way up till dawn. Right. You don't come up, you failed. They move on. And the creation rights, to this point, they've never had a complete and utter failure. You, you put 12 in, at least three are going to come out <laughs> right, of the ground. Right, right, right. Like, at least three will make it out. Nobody. Right. Anything that happens at Mount Royal is basically a no-go. Very rarely does anyone come out of the creation right, and those that do tend to be completely beyond insane, just unable to even be controlled or, or anything, and they have to be put down. The other thing is, is that you also had people who were in the woods getting attacked. Like, Vampire Pack would go out, get jumped by they don't know what. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the Iroquois, and it wasn't anybody. They've, it's definitely supernatural. They don't know what it was. They fight it off or kill it, but in the course of killing it, there's no evidence left behind. Whether it's a black sludge or a maimed corpse, they really can't determine what the hell it was. Definitely not werewolves. So that's that. Um, the other half is, of course, there are werewolves in Montreal. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. They're up here, and you have the baddest of the bad werewolves out here, in my opinion, of the Wendigo, who were already driven up here. We'll get, we may get to that at some point, but that's down, down the road. But understand, this book only cares about the vampiric angle. Right. They're there, but they're a footnote. They're like, uh, like, like an LA by nine. They're a danger, but we just. Right. There know. are werewolves. Avoid them. Right. Just, just know that. Right. Don't go too far in the woods. You well, get got. And I think, I think that's the other thing too, that you notice in this is that it doesn't really seem like as it did in a lot of those earlier city books where they, it doesn't seem like they're trying to sell you on an additional supplement. Right. Like they're not. They're not jamming in references necessarily. Um, and a game like Demon the Fallen, that's so far off in the future, it's probably not even conceived of at this point. It's just there are demons because there's bad shit. Yep, for sure. So the Sabbat don't don't really know what to make of it, but they're survivors first and foremost. They move on. Um, then, of course, the British come and have a go at it. And with the British, you have the Camarilla trying to decide that they're going to be here. Now, note this too. I always mention them. Pendragon. This this is part of Pendragon's bullshit. Is is that conquest regime? Because if you're the Camarilla, remember we just sent a French guy down there and he confirmed there's some trouble. We got some investigation. Right. We don't have the muscle. Pendragon's a Bruja who's been rolling with the Sabbat since he got over here. You know, that's been his plan. Cool. We'll send some troops. I I want you to imagine that. He's supposed to be a prince, right? Like leading an area, and what's he do? Embrace those 20. Send them to Montreal. I want conquest. Take your redcoats. <laughs> right. Move on. That What? Right. Like, that's some Sabbat shit to do. Very much. You know, and they're there to to hook that up to help it out. So add that to it. Well, we can skip what, what, what occurs with that because what you have here is you have one half Infernalism, the other half Sabbat, and pissed off Iroquois. You're not going to make it. Right. It's just not. We won't even waste the words with it because Sabbat put them down. They don't even get close to, to even taking it over. And a lot of that is owed to Strathcona. Well, yeah, that, that's uh, important to note that at the time, Montreal is quote-unquote controlled by the Camarilla. And the prince is a Ventru by the name of Kyle Strathcona. And there is a Primogen Council. And now 
we learn right away when we're reading about this, because his history is very important to the history of Montreal, that here's a guy who's dissatisfied with the Ventrue. He sees them as <clears throat> weak, that they all they care about is their pointless uh, 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 money and right. and things that they're acquiring. And uh, he has this permanent council that's essentially like a British council, right? And so... Um, he's kind of working in a way that the British don't really care for. They see him. They see him as ineffectual, or perhaps even he might have some sympathies towards the Sabbat. And they talk about in here that um, you know Mithras says word like, "Get rid of them, do them in, take care of them." Well, the whole time, the Sabbat have been making overtures towards him, right? And he's seeing their brotherhood. He's seeing the loyalty among the sect, and like that—that's appealing to him. Well, and add to the fact, you're grotesquely outnumbered. Right. You don't have you don't have shit here. Like you have your buildings and you're holding up, and that's grand. But they're here's the thing to realize: they have people who are nationalists that are here amongst the Sabbat, mm-hmm. uh, like Marie Agnon. She's here, and what what you got to understand is that there's uh, <sighs> modern Montreal speaks a story from this book's perspective of that you're separated by culture. That there's the Anglophones, which are the English-speaking. There's the Francophones that are French-speaking. Right. And then there's the uh, whatever phones. I forget them. That are everybody else, basically. And those three things actually reflect on the mortal descendants, what becomes modern. Back then, though, when you're Strathcona, you you directly see what they're talking about. The British telling you how it's going to be ruled. You have the Sabbat, which are composed of mainly French. That's who they came over with giving the finger like really you think we're gonna right. let this stand and they're they're writing on that uh that mortal divide because you have they, they make mention in here you have the majority which are the french and uh, french speaking and it comes down to uh, the wage gap and then you have this very small minority of english and they sort of are reaping the rewards of everything right you know they're kind of the ruling class but they're definitely the minority and when that happens, when there's inequality like that, especially from a numerical standpoint, you're going to have a problem. You're going to have a revolution. And in short order, there is one. And Strathcona uses that to sort of transition from a Camarilla prince to... Carpe noctum. Right. And uh, Archbishop is easy. and uh, Or onward as he becomes cardinal. But the... The fact is, is yes, you're right. Strathcona is the linchpin as to why this all stays where it is. At least accredited. Mm-hmm. Um, the so the war is not so bad when you get so categorically defeated. Moving forward, though, this more or less continues to the modern. I mean, there are other footnotes of things happening here and there. Uh, but the fact is, again, this isn't a history thing. It's more or less understanding where the packs come from. Right. To me, this book is the gem because of the packs that are in it. There's an entirely new path that's founded here. Yep. You have the founding of the Inquisition of the Sabbat that comes out of Montreal. You have the fact that this is the city that is considered the Mecca for all the paths of enlightenment coming out of Montreal. Yep, absolutely. Everything is built for Montreal for the Sabbat. It is, it is, that's why they call it categorically the heart of the Sabbat. Where Mexico may be the crowning jewel, uh, but that's martial-wise. Right. This is where they come to keep their keep themselves out of the beast clutches. Yeah, and there's uh, there's also some other themes here in this book that um, haven't been touched on before. Um, one of those things is the litany of blood. Yep. Um, that's a very important aspect of Montreal. Um, the the sort of small distinction between covens 
and packs and how these packs that reside in the city are considered covens. They're called covens. Um, so that's, that's very unique. And then just the way that this book is set up, you know, every other city book before were divided by clan and, you know, you got your Bruja, your Ventrue. That, that's not an imperative in this book. Right. What's imperative are those, those packs, those Sabbat packs and who inhabits them. Because at the end of the day, like we may have a common bond being Bruja and Detribute, but you're in a different pack. I don't really give a shit what you're doing unless it's affecting me or unless, you know, we're coming to head. That's fantastic insight to point out that I don't give a shit about clan. I care about pack. Right. That is the Sabbat. Bar none. Unless you're two. <laughs> right. The Sombra right. or the Zemis. Right. If you were the, the... By and large, they point out everyone else is anti-tribute unless you're the Sombra and the Zemis. We don't, we don't care otherwise. Because we did what founded the sect, which is we killed our antediluvians as far as anyone's concerned. And that's, that's important. But that doesn't mean everybody else gets tossed to the wayside. It means that you now have to care more about who you're with sure. instead of where you come from. And that's, that's the point. Now, a couple of the packs they mention off the bat and the founding uh, of it. And I always like to start with the Shepherds of Cain. Shepherds of Cain are, well... Maybe we shouldn't, because we're, we're trying to think about who sticks around. How do right. we keep the mortals? The Widows, right? Uh, the Widows is a pact that's uh, the Cathars, they're Abaganesians. Uh, what their point is, is pleasure on earth, pleasure of the flesh, because when you die, that is when your spiritual life begins, which means nothing is forbidden, everything is permitted. And that's what they encourage in everyone around them. That's not, uh, that is definitely not unpopular with mortals. Right. Well, and, and they talk about the early formation, the early foundations of Montreal and how this pack had whorehouses. And they basically, every conceivable, disgusting, uh, you know, debauched kind of fetish was permitted and occasionally forced upon those that would uh, that would frequent the establishments um and you know they have no problem listing them right here for you and indeed they're, they're right right they're the worst of the worst and uh some side note that i want to point to that real quick we did overlook the fact that we it's about do war with the Sedites up here yeah and uh there's a guy who's important his name is a sangri mm-hmm. um or singers depending on how you want to pronounce it. i always thought it was sangri and uh, that's that's that. That'll be important later on because we're going to go over his profile in this book and kind of reveals a big plot point uh, to this whole book. This book doesn't necessarily, it does have something of a starter uh, to get you into a storyline, but ultimately when you read the book, you'll get, oh, yeah. it's infernalism versus the Sabbat. Right. And, and uh, definitely at the back of this book, unlike others, you're not going to find that, that uh, like you said, the, the little starter campaign. Um, so we can avoid that, thankfully. Right. But they do lead big C, a big red sign that says this should be a plot. Yeah. This is something that's not going. Right. So this should probably be the first thing that gets handled or, or at least if you're a storyteller, here's your problem. Right. That should be, that can be a main plot or quick, depending on when you use it. But point is back to the widows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that pack is, is essential to the growth of what you would think of. Sabat so would call the herd. Anybody would. Right. This is what keeps the mortals here and spreads the word to bring them all back here. That's what they do, but they also are kind of a corruptive influence, right? 
Because you got to remember, this is a religious town. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It's like a town of a thousand miracles or what have yeah, you. The, because- the, the faith in this uh, in this city is vast. And the they, they make mention that it seems very strange that in normal places, a mixture of faiths would normally tend to dilute the overall faith of the city. And it doesn't here. And what's strange that it doesn't is because you got to remember, you have someone like the Shepherd's Cane, right? Mm-hmm. These guys sit around. They found their own path that's designed on understanding exactly what evil is and how it's handled and addressed. And I don't mean this path of nocturnal redemption. That does not mean that they found a path where no one's evil and we're purists. It means they have a cycle. They call it the dark tide. Right. And that's there's certain times of the year where you have to be as evil as possible. Delve into yourself to be as dark as you can to let the beast flow. Let him do what it is in you to do. And then when the cycle ebbs, that's when you're as good as you can be. Right. Or as expected to your nature. And that's the point of it. But they force mortals through it, which is very interesting. They go to churches and they find priests who are devout, allegedly. And they talk to them and invite them in. And they're very, very well-learned people uh, in Shepherds of Cain. And um, what they do, if you can think about it, a priest is going to be, you know, very much, um, well, this is the Bible, this is what I've learned, this is what we were taught. Let's match right. wits, let's match the good book. But you're dealing with an immortal Cainite, a group, who have studied more than just uh, Catholicism. You know, it goes beyond Christianity. Um, they have a, um, I'm going to butcher it. Um, they, they remember it was part of the Jewish faith in there. I forget what they call their, a rabbi, that's the term. They have a rabbi in their pack. Who's there with them, you know, as well. And uh, the very much the Alfred, Benezri, is even uh, Persian by nature. Or by nature. Persian by culture, and that is indeed what his race, where he comes from. Um, because of this, they have a profound mix of religions, right? Know anything about the Persians back in the day? Uh, they embraced all cultures that they conquered. Took the very best right, of them. Right. This includes religion. And this is uh, one of the things he brings. Now, when they do this, it's because that nocturnal redemption, you have a belief that God is a very real thing. And you also believe that you're not, you're a vampire, you're not here for that. But everyone can be purified through this process. And that's where they get twisted. Because if you, when you read this path, you'll probably do a lot what I did. I don't know if you did, Nate, but I was reading this going, this is probably one of the most twisted paths I've ever seen. Well, and it's also really important to note, I think, that uh, this is the only place you can find this path, this book. This path is not in any other book, any revised edition book. It's not in the, um, what's it called, Chaining the Beast? It's not in that book. It's just in this book. And it's practiced almost primarily, uh, like specifically out of Montreal. Um, So it's kind of a unique path to this city. However, occasionally, you know, they make note like, yeah, you know, some people come here and learn it and they go elsewhere. So you could play it, too, if you wanted to in your home game. Right. But, um, yeah, it's it's unique to, to this area. And, and I, think book. You do, I think you do a disservice to spread it out. The reason why it's only in this book is because they practice all the rights in it. And once a year, all followers of that path come back to Montreal. Right. Uh, and what it is is that they'll see off one person who is high enough on the path who they believe will ascend. Whether that's Golconda, whether that's something else, they really kind of leave it up in the open. They invented a ritual where you inter this person who was so holy into a box and put them in the ground, and that's that. I believe it was Yitzhak who came up with the ritual, but the point is, they also point out that the ritual was bastardized by two other members of the pack. 
who believe that if you truly feel you're so holy on this planet that you can ascend and go to God, it's because you're hubris. Right. It's right. because of your ego, and therefore you are not holy, and we now teach you a lesson. And if you're mortal, we embrace you, and we put you in there, and we put you down there, and we don't ever let you out. Right. You're condemned for all time into the ground, and, and enjoy being the perfect being you thought you were. Right. Thumbs up, right? That's how you get it. That's why I say they're twisted. It's uh, It's incredible. How that goes out but that's because the influence of the city right we know vampires are influenced by the mortals if there's a church popping up damn near every block with a congregation and everybody's welcome and you know we're not judging but come on in you know barbecue on tuesday right you know they're doing cookies down i mean you get the idea well and you know the, the, even in the theme you know even at the very beginning of the book what is the theme of this book it's faith yep and not just faith in god but faith as a concept and that's that's going to be a strong thing here, you know. At, at this point, if you've read these books, it's it, I don't think we can emphasize enough. This is very different than everything else you've read so far, but I mean, it's very familiar. You know, it has your geography, it has your history, it has uh, maybe a little bit more in the sense that it talks about nightlife among the Sabbat in this city, and that's a little bit different, I think, than you know in the previous books that you've read. They might talk about places that are considered Elysium, hot spots, but this actually talks about that life. And it's a great introduction to Sabat Games, which um, I don't know if they've really gone over so far. None. They're like I, I, I don't I know we reviewed the Sabat book um, for the second edition, but I don't recall them being in there. They may be, you know, I'm not I, I apologize. It's hard to keep them all wrapped up, but there are some fucking games in here there's some unique games um they have i mean games have been mentioned um although i believe it's in the player's guide i mentioned a couple yeah um that they get into there but here's some that are unique one yeah. is called bobbing for mortals of the many games featuring toy and toy is a unique vampire in this book in fact that we should explain it toy is a is a what they we refer to lovingly as a midget uh who was embraced by Samedi and is now feral Right. Well, the other thing that is important to note about Toy is he's a quadriplegic. He he yep. like, has no arms and no legs, and uh, he's just he's feral. Right at this point, like literally, what we mean feral is that he's he's fallen to his beast. Yeah. So uh, essentially, he's a white. He he went through the creation rites, right, and um, he just never emerged. And and like some stupid time later, uh, I don't recall which pack it was, but. Uh, you know, they, they had basically said, hey, you know, this little guy here, we never gave him the opportunity to really, like, get through the creation rights. Like, we should have given him more of an opportunity. And um, Strathcona was convinced. Right, Whether it was right. by words or by dominate, no one knows. Um, so they put him in a box, right? And they throw somebody else in there. And lo and behold, this this other new embracey, they open the box later, and it's just a puddle of goop and blood and toy. And they're <laughs> like, all right, well, we're going to keep you in this box, and we're going to break you out for special occasions. How fun is that? <laughs> so <laughs> right. um, uh, to me, it's crazy, right? So, oh, man, it's uh, Critters is what toy always reminds me of when he gets mentioned. Right. Remember the horror film Critters? Mm -hmm. that, that little little ball of eating everything? That's right. him. Um, then we have, uh, well, bobbing for mortals. So the Sabat go, we get toy, we put a harness on him and we take, and this, this harness, we, it's literally left in this, uh, grain silo. 
and of having a special place out there in Montreal. And what they do is they take a bunch of mortals and they throw them down in the grain, right? They're up to their neck in it. And they enjoy attaching Toy to the harness, and as far as they can tell, Toy loves this game. And they can tell by his mewling and his somewhat cooing and snarls as they drop Toy right down there in the grain and see who he grabs and eats. Right. They just love watching it from the top, you know, take bets on who he's going to get and who he's not. Oh man, hours of fun. <laughs> then they have what they call a fatality fun. Yeah, this one is uh, pretty freaking silly. So... We're all familiar with the term bum fights. If not, me and Nate are just the only soulless two who've heard of it. We know we're not, and you know who you are. Um, before that, though, was Mortal Kombat, the video game. Right. This is when this one was all the rage, right? Everybody right. heard it everywhere. Well, the Sabat love it, too. What do, what do they call it? I forget. Fatality they... Fun is what, simply what, what it's like, called. But what is it? It's oh, Mortality based... Fighter is yeah, the video yeah. game. So, so obviously, they can't reference Mortal Kombat. However, there's a piece of artwork next to it that really, I mean... <laughs> It's Raiden. <laughs> right, right. It's the modern term of Raiden. It's like Raiden met Scorpion is right. what it looks like. And he's holding a spine. Right. And what they do is the Sabat throw people and have them fight in the arena. But the Sabat cosplay as the people and then they fight against a dude. Right. And uh, so in other words, someone would be dressed up like quote unquote Raiden Scorpion. And then and it would be some guy. Right. That he's fighting. And he's rewarded Um prestige points cheers and hollers based on how unique his fatality is right or what do they call it his mortality his mortality right right because right. we he can't use that. the we right, can't right. use the trademarked words but you know what we're talking toasty about. right that's what we're talking about <laughs> He's toasty and move on um then we have crazy cup football why is it crazy cup football well you get a you get a football field and it's between montreal and toronto toronto of course being that the camarilla Mm-hmm. What they do is that they choose a ball, whatever poor sap that is. And the packs have to take that ball, skirmishing over it, and the ball has to get to the end zone of Toronto or the end zone of Montreal. They put in a middle ground between the two, and they all fight for it. Right. And they go throughout the city doing whatever they can to do it. Football changes hands until one team manages to steal it or score with it, and uh, hopefully the game continues if they have a living ball at the end. However, <laughs> if they don't, they just pick a new one. And uh, there's an actual Sabat member they have in Montreal who survived. They actually got embraced Sabat because she lived through one entire game of football. And she loves football. She's a fan favorite when it comes down to it. <laughs> uh, what other ones of note? Because there's a couple here. We'll just, uh, we'll just make these distinctive. Um, probably my favorite one. There's favorite two. Three. Oh, God, they're good. Yeah, they're all so very good. All right, we'll just go quickly. Movie night. Mm-hmm. Movie night's a good one. Uh, this is where uh, folks like to meet up and uh, pick their favorite show to show the Sabat or not all that bad. And uh, it's usually a favorite horror theme something. Right. They put them up there on that and you will manipulate the audience, terrify the audience. Because, by the way, this isn't just the Sabat here, right? Because they got right. film festivals and whatnot in Montreal every damn year. And you'll pick a theater. And right. And they all show up. And whatever reigning pack has picked that time, they get to choose it. And I believe it's Les Rob. Uh, the um, who always choose Hannibal Lecter to choose the, the first it, one. It's the Malkavian, uh, yeah, the the Les Miserables. Because um, they, they were talking about <laughs> people getting tired of watching uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, Silence of the Lambs over yeah, and over. But it, it, it very much like a, it's like a Rocky Horror Picture Show yep. scenario where the audience is now acting things out. Well, I mean, it's the Sabat. Right. How do you think these things are being acted out? It's like a la a blood feast in a theater. Right. They talk about uh, Pulp Fiction being a favorite. <laughs> <laughs> right. Some cool shit. 
um, playing in traffic cracks me up to no end. I mean, it's it, it's does a choice. It, does it need an explanation? It's so awesome. It it does because of how it starts. You pull up to a stoplight and you look over. And by the way, your driver needs dominate. That's it's key. Got to play the <laughs> right, game right. right. And when they're at the light, they command them to go. It's a red light. You command them to take off, and oh, chaos ensues. And you keep going. And then, of course, it's considered apropos to outdo one another in terms of jumping car to car to throw them off or to um, pinch them off from getting to the stoplight because only the person who's at the stoplight with a mortal is able to do it. By the way, I said with a mortal because that's traditional. Like, you want to start it that way. Mm -hmm. If two packs get to the stoplight, whoever dominates who gets to play chicken and cross traffic. Well, they talk about uh, dominating the driver to forget how to drive. There's that too. Yes, (laughs) yes. That's the direct one. watching the chaos ensue. Um, that's, uh, That's all the above, right? Fun times. And then the one I had to mention, couldn't walk away from it, um, is taking Toy for a walk. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, no, no, no. The Night of the... What is it? Playing with the Dead? It's uh, Respect for the Dead. That's what it is. Because it's quick to give you an idea of the Sabbat and what they consider cheeky is the fact that someone dies in obituary that day. Right. They read about it, and they're like, oh, man. They run out to the to the graveyard, and they dig them up. Then they get points for sneaking into the house and leaving that loved one, like, on the sofa. Making them look like they're having a drink or that they made, like, cereal. Right. You know, something when they get caught to make it seem like they crawled out of their grave to come home. <laughs> and then, you know, they make a noise to see it, of course. That's the point. And you could record it, whatever. But the point is, is the reactions from the family. Right. It's a night of fun. They reintroduce the deceased family member back to the family. I left the last for Nate because taking Toy for a walk is a tradition here in Chicago. So taking Toy for a walk. Well, you you remember we just spoke about Toy and what Toy is. Toy is essentially a very small, limbless, rotting (laughs) uh, monstrosity with no self-control whatsoever. So... What we'll do is we'll dress him up like a child, like a baby, and we put him in like a little buggy, a little carriage, a little stroller. And, you know, uh, my my sabat companion and I, we will we will dress up as a doting mother and father and uh, we'll wait for people to come over and and give the baby a look, see, and just, (laughs) you know, enjoy what comes next. Uh, Yes, you can imagine what comes next to a frenzied feral submetti. When someone gives it a coup and a too close for a kiss, <laughs> right. that you just likes bobbing for mortals. It's, it's like YouTube pranks before YouTube. Yes, exactly. <laughs> just to see what occurs, it's pretty cool. Um, that said, let's give an insight to the communal haven real fast, and we'll get back to the packs. Um, the communal haven is also what is super unique about Montreal. Um, well, Montreal itself has an underground mall. That's I think that's awesome. You know, I haven't been there, but I've I've talked to some friends online who mentioned that there's a there's a whole railway. That goes with it on top. You can walk down to the mall whenever you need to, do what you need to. Um, in here, it's sites that there's a church uh, that bought a former popular store out that's in the mall, too, to let you know churches are everywhere in Montreal, and the underground uh, mall doesn't doesn't escape it. And uh, that is very unique. Now, attached to that underground mall is, of course, the communal haven, which I think is super cool. For me, I think the idea of vampires potentially getting up to do a little shopping during the daylight to be hysterical and is an unspoken sabbat game to play <laughs> it'd be kind of fun to tell your habit that hey when hot topic opens up i want that new red dye number five get it done <laughs> here's my list what yes and then have a ghoul prod him till he's awake you got to get that red dye number five that's what he said you gotta go in there and make that happen 
you know, and then stumble just to watch on camera how many times your corpse falls over. Right. <laughs> dead and then someone has to wake you oh my god he's dead and you're like no i'm fine get the fuck away from me because they're moving you and hopefully you make your roll right or you end up at the morgue ah it could be fun you know it just depends <laughs> all right maybe dangerous but that's the point but the communal haven's unique for for several things one is that they have the cathedral or the Cain's chapel Cain's chapel where they have is where they have all the paths represented right we are asked this all the time nate and i how do I find a path? How do I ever get on one? How does, how does anyone do this? You know, blah, blah, blah. First and foremost, paths are mostly Sabbat. In fact, yeah. dominantly are Sabbat only. They're the only ones looking to run away from their humanity, folks. Sorry. You don't get to play some super cool dude who's part of the Camarilla who knows about a path off the bat. You would have to hang out in some seedy areas and discover where this goes. Right. And furthermore, uh, you know, other like uh, independently aligned clans may have their own unique ones but the camarilla they cling to their humanity it is what they are by definition it is like their not to use the name of another game but it's like their requiem you're dancing the dance of your humanity whereas with the sabbat we are not gonna hide among our food quote air quotes uh but in that the loss of humanity and the transition into something uniquely vampiric is the the playground of the Sabbat. You got it. And what's cool about Kane's Chapel? I can go there if I'm a Sabbat at all at any point. Just have to be a member and I can walk in and see the paths that are represented. They list their uh, paragons who are on the path as well. A lot of them are in the city in packs. Right. Which is another cool thing. You can go and talk to them see what that path is about if you groove with them if you feel calling to them some very awesome mentor relationships can develop from this book uh to date i've only ever done it twice super rewarding and funny enough never in a sabat game the only <laughs> the only times i've done it have been people who have uh, ventured to montreal uh with a background for it we'll leave that right. for another talk but the point is uh they made it there and we've had cool scenes and if you're in a Sabat game and you're doing this, this is where players get to come in window shop. Funny enough, right? right. And like, just like mortals have every religion you want up above, as above, so below, vampires have their ways of finding their paths. Right. Um, from there, you also have a very cool and unique thing of those who defy the Sabbat itself. Um, I believe it's in the Alexandrium that they have it. They have a unique ritual that turns a vampire into a tree in a twisted sort of garden. Uh, that they undergo here, and it's it's pretty fantastic to think about it. Shouldn't shock you too much, though. No. Also, I think it's important to note that the communal haven is called the Temple of Eternal Whispers. Right. And it's not just a catchy name. Uh, <laughs> so one of the things that they talk about is that this temple, this vast underground communal haven, uh, you can constantly hear like the cries and, and whispers of people that aren't there. Um, so definitely it's, if you're, if you're in the mood to, to run or play a spiritual game, a game that deals with these, these otter, more strange aspects of the game, definitely this is the game, to, this is the city to do it out of. So we told you about the, the Haran and how they were diseased and killed, right? That that's what happened. And they, they lost the demon. It's not just them. It's anyone that the Decani have ever diseased and killed. They're the whispers that you hear in the halls that are there because this is below ground. Right. We already said what's below Mount Royale. 
that's below ground. The, the echoes suck. And, uh, but it adds a very haunting effect that the Sabbat find rather nice. Usually down below you hear it's like, <laughs> right. all right. Right. Suppose it depends on your path, but that's, that's, your humanity's not staying long. You know, it's right. going to wave at it when you go down below. This is essentially where the, where the monsters sleep. And it's uh, effective that way. Beyond that, it gives all sorts of bolt holes that you can go in and out. Um, they sleep in a sort of mausoleum style, uh, slabs right. of stone. And uh, they call them the crypts. It's where they hang out. And um, packs can routinely be found down here um, if they're not up abroad getting involved in things. Now, why is it important to point out a communal haven? What is a communal haven? To the Sabbat, a communal haven is when a city, when a Sabbat has an established city, it's theirs. They will develop a communal haven. This is where all the covens come and they sit. And this is where their seat of power is because the Sabbat believe in unity. There is strength in numbers. If one package, and by the way, back to the hunter thing. If you're a hunter going after one vampire, it's usually of a, if the storyteller is smart and wants the game to last, it is a vampire of a high generation who has messed up a feeding. And they are on to them. And it can last a while or as quick as you want it to, rinse, repeat. If you're a bastard and you decide it's going to be a pack of Sabbat, it's going to be a short-lived game. Because <laughs> right. those Sabbat, if they don't out-kill those hunters, they're going to go back to the communal haven because they don't know they're being followed. And if you're the hunters, forget John Carpenter's vampires. You're not dragging these people out to the sun because you found some nefarious, especially not in Montreal. You get down that communal haven, you might as well kiss your ass goodbye. Right. It's all underground. There is no sunlight to help you. You know, what are you going to burn that solid stone, which is the majority of the haven? Right, exactly. All that's there is you being food. And so they don't tend to worry about it. But then the nomadic packs. The the nomadic packs that come, they're literally visitors. Why would they come here? Nine times out of ten, it's to deliver information from abroad about the Sabbat as a whole. And they're bringing it because there's two cities, right? The martial strength is in Mexico City. They probably got a report already. But the main one is going to be Montreal for that spirituality. And why? It's because they do have a litany of blood that's up here. There is a pack dedicated to writing down every major uh, success the Sabbat has had and every pack member that was involved in that success on a litany of skin. Literally, their name gets entailed into the litany of blood and they're honored. It's hung in the Chapel of Cain. And it's there that you would go and see the heroes of the sect, those who've contributed. And it sort of gives you honorifics. So what's this mean to the players? If you're bad enough, if you're Sabbat enough, if you're noted enough, your name gets put somewhere, and you're forever remembered. You may have died, you may be ash, but posthumously or not, there you are. And those who come after you will know what greatness is. You live on in glory, if not directly. Right. That's the point. And, to, and when you do that, <laughs> look what it did for Rome. I'm just pointing it out, right? right? You know, you live forever. We will all know your name. Yes, and when you do that, you make people who want to be that guy who everyone remembers. Oh, Absolutely. Um, man, they get super detailed in here. They talk about the, t- they give you maps. So, if, you know, if you guys are into maps, <laughs> you know, we know, we know some players are like really super like into maps. Uh, yeah, there's uh there's maps here. Um, but they, they talk about all the different paths that are represented here. Um, super, super detailed. And then of course it talks about the path of nocturnal redemption, uh, nocturnal redemption, which we've already discussed. Um, and then I think the the last thing that really we can talk about are the covens, which I think is the best part of this book. The best part of the book. Um, the covens in and of itself. Um, what about the layout? I mean, off the bat, you look at the Lost Angels, right? Mm-hmm. They talk about Archbishop Carolina Velez and her supporters 
and her pack is the Lost Angels. That's, right. That's what she's in. Now, what's cool about it, Carolina Velez is, is La Sombra. History aside, her sole point is to be the one who covers up the messes of the Sabatina city. You want to know if the Sabat care about the masquerade? The fucking archbishop does. And <laughs> God damn it, is she tired of having to worry about it all the time? Well, since I can't tell them to not do it, what I can do is control the corporations and the media that dominate the area. How do I control them? I do it through money that we don't give a shit about. Whatever it takes. I tell the big corpse to eat the little corpse, and from that money, slush fund these people and tell the idiots to keep it quiet. Right. Because money controls the police and you get how influence works. At least you should now. And that means, wow, interesting. If the elders of the Sabbat work to keep the, the masquerade at least diverted, if not unknown, how's that different from the Camarilla? Well, it isn't. It isn't at all. <laughs> Except in the Camarilla, we're going to kill your ass for doing it because that's wasting our time. Right. In the However, in the Sabbat, you know, you uh, you got the freedom to do what you want, of course, but somebody's got to clean up that mess. If you want an army and you're in the Sabbat, how you pay that army is in freedom. That freedom comes at controlling the mortal propaganda machine to keep that masquerade secret to somewhat be safe. Right. It's that simple. That's her sole job, and she's reviled for it. Um, she's reviled because, not to get too political, there are other different... Um, political factions that view that as a weak point that don't get the the big picture of that that feel the sabbat should stand on its own two feet and whoever comes they can handle it that's well and good on paper fantastic you can write the pamphlet we hand out to every new guy that comes out of the earth right however i've been here a hot minute some might say centuries and what doesn't work the mortals don't like it when you willy-nilly kill them and we remember the iroquois Right. Well, and, 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 you know, the, the really important thing, too, is the, to note that I think a lot of outside play like players that aren't familiar or have not played the Sabbat or maybe um, aren't super knowledgeable about the Sabbat politics. There are it's not unified. <laughs> like, that's one thing to note. Like, it's just like any other city in the sense that there are various political factions vying for control because they think their way is the right way. Right. And that's, that's when we've talked before, we've said that you can be as political in a Sabat game as you could be in any Camarilla game. And this is exactly why, because you have these factions, you have these different covens and it's, it's political. In this book, White Wolf stopped fucking around and leaving you to guess what the Sabat do. Because they had a clear vision, and right. it's amazing in this book. With this pack, it tells you off the bat how it's done. Every pack has their own rights and practices. Archbishop Carolina Velez, the Lost Angels, they host what is known as the Toast of Midnight. Every midnight, uh, Tobias Smith comes and uses some obtenebration to kind of darken the room, set the mood, and everyone pulls out their chosen uh, little glass of blood, and they toast midnight itself. And at that toast, that's where the Archbishop will hear you. Any Sabbat who want to have an audience with the Archbishop, they have it then, and they'll talk. That's how that works. How's that different? Camarilla has a prince. Good fucking luck getting a meeting with the prince. Right. You've got to be somebody to just talk to the prince. Hell, to just talk to the Seneschal. Unless you're a LARP, but yeah. Right, unless you're a LARP. But even in a LARP, learn. At a good LARP? Learn, right? right? I don't got time for everyone. And it doesn't mean that the, the, the guy who can afford to wear a suit, and yeah, man, I donate the most. I'm a print. No, no, it doesn't. It means that you're the most powerful badass in the city or political powerhouse of the city. Everyone dances to your tune. You can be seen 
You can go to a, a gathering and hang out. No one better dare approach you. The harpy better cut them their ribbons unless they already know. The prince wished to see you in advance. This is where he chose to meet you, but then he lets everybody see that you're the privileged one. Right. He did you a favor. Just talking to him is special. Why is the archbishop not that way? The archbishop is a spiritual leader. That's why they get to have the title. They are literally like the mother and father of the Sabbat in the city. Right. That is their point. So the toast at midnight is even more special because if anybody can go there and just be like, hey, you know, I was just out in the woods and got jumped by a psycho embraced Iroquois. You know, the Iroquois is still around and she gets to go far out. I, <laughs> wow. You got jumped. You know, this is Canada, right? Like there are still natives here. Are you, Is this a thing? You know, this is where you get to have those discussions, which awesome to me that right. you can still have that done. Um, and that's that. Rolling through, though, I should say that the unique the uniqueness of the people that are in here. Oh, I should mention her, uh, Marie Helen Dutois. Uh, Marie Helen Dutois is one is the nationalist is the one that's in here uh, that you'll you'll check out that you'll learn that she has a def- definite opinion on the fact that Montreal is for the French. She goes out of her way to hunt those who are not French. Right. She only speaks French. I mean, she's an extreme person who does that, and that has to be a reflection a dark reflection of how it does seem. Now, I'll be the first to say right here, right now, and we'll get more into this in nerd words. I mean, not naturally, it's what happens, but um, it, there's a little bit of that. Um, the French are a proud people. I think everyone that has a history that they can attach to is going to be proud. When you're on there in your area and it has a history of where people tried to steal it and quote, unquote, take it from them and they didn't win, but yet you're still kind of here, I imagine, his nationally, you're going to have a little well, bit of... And, and I think, too, I, like, I don't know the specific details about it, so bear with us while we, we trudge through this, but uh, I believe there has been a very long effort by Quebec at one time or another to try to like gain independence from yes. the, the rest of Canada. So this plays into that as well. And again, I apologize. We don't know French and we're not Canadian and um, we don't know all the details, but we're aware that it has occurred. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Very cool. Exactly. Uh, We mentioned the widows and there's no need to go into their lair and all that. Uh, But what we do like to cite here is their rights and practices. The widows being Cathari leaders in Montreal observe all the traditional rights of their path. What are the traditional rights of their path? Mm. <laughs> whatever right, right. that's what the Cathars right. believe in it's, it's, it, it literally they could have just wrote okay there's a path of Cathari these these guys these folks created it so just go look at that but when you look at the women in this book one of my favorite characters in it hands down uh, is their leader the Rose she's known as the mistress of Montreal the Rose is ah, she's beauty incarnate she can also be a bit androgynous on purpose uh, she's a meese. She is your everything. And the Rose has the down and dirty secrets of most of this whole pack. Combs the secrets of the vampires who come here. They're big on pointing out as to why they're so influential. They didn't just get secrets from the, the Sabbat that are here. This is any visiting dignitary, including the Camarilla, that have come. Right. This lets you know that the Camarilla have been in Montreal. Some still come to Montreal. They get smuggled in, and uh, the, the mistress will cozy up to them. And, and they do things. And of those things, Creamy Jade, I think, is one of the ones that you can note directly as to what she might be about. This book is not afraid of having tasteful nudity. No. In it. What's tasteful nudity? 
There was nothing more shocking than our society than to see the naked body. So we spend so much time with artful clothing and tasteful clothing considered in that hides very little to the frame, but yet is clothed, right? That's considered one of, tasteful, so to speak. This book is like, no, they're nude because they're monsters. Like right, if you right, look exactly. at this, if you look at this, it's a dead corpse. I don't care how beautiful it is. This is a thing that is here to eat your, your, so your blood is going to eat your very essence and you're going to die and she'll make you love it while she does it. Creamy Jade, I love her artwork for that. I, I do want to uh, make note, personally, like, out of all of the books that we've gone through so far, like, most of it has really on-point artwork. The artwork in this book is is awesome. Like, every piece of artwork in here, I feel like, fits perfectly to the theme of of this book. And a lot of it's Leaf Jones, right? Yep. That's who this is. Yeah, yep. he's he's awesome. And uh we we got some of the artwork from the previous book. Is it Life we, or Leaf? I'm not sure, know. but I mean we love you, his, man. his artwork hey. goes way back to the beginning. Like he's we follow him on Twitter. I, I follow him <laughs> on Twitter cuz I just I love his artwork. I think it's it's great. And especially in this book it's it's really really good. Now we mentioned the mistress and uh why is cuz she is a 10. On her, she's literally the paragon right? Uh, for Path of Cathari. Uh, Creamy Jade's right behind her at a nine. These are people who, hands down, are the end-all, be-all for that Path of Cathari. And again, of course, they're represented in, in the Chapel of Cain. That's the point. We roll right on to the Navigators. Navigators pack are known because they're a war pack. Um, they're a pack that's a coven. Eh. I say that because they, they travel the Great Lakes. That's, that's what they do. They can go wherever they like. They choose the nest in uh, Montreal, though. Their history is pretty, eh, I won't say is, is stellar, other than to note that every war that's taken place for the most part in North America has had the Navigators there. They're, they're known for being the ass kickers. And what's, what's not to like about that? If it's the Sabbat, hell, you can look at the picture of Miguel Santo Domingo, and he's just the pack priest. That dude, I mean, it screams 80s, <laughs> the, the artwork that's on it. But the 80s had some cool-ass-looking people. I mean, in terms of, like, um, villainy, right? We right. loved a good bad guy out of that, and it's, you definitely have it. Uh, he serves as a pack priest. What is their rights and practice here? Uh, we have burial at sea. This is unique. The burial at sea is when they, they embrace you and they uh, tie you under the boat. Yep. Is how it goes. Yeah, and, they, they uh, use an old cargo vessel, an old rusted-out cargo vessel as their, their haven. Now, I always like pointing this out. Because uh, when they've been to some places, there's another uh, canine in his book who I adore. I think everybody's a fan favorite when you get to this book. Believes part of the wretched is the name. Uh, Elias the Whale. <laughs> Elias the Whale is a massive Nosferatu who, guess what? He's fat. He's a big, huge guy. Right. And uh, But he's shaped much, and he swims like the namesake. He swims really, really good. Well, he used to follow the navigators in the water, and when they would do a burial at sea... One time, anyway, he he diabolized everybody underneath the water. <laughs> he ate them, is what he did. Navigators hate his ass, and they want him bad. And uh, and it's that's cool because Elias the whale will get to him. It's really hard to locate the guy. Strange, right? That's because he's he's in bodies of water. Right. If you ain't him, you ain't getting him. Now, uh, the navigator's other point is that they have some very unique uh, members in the pack. Uh, Celeste. Celeste is a gangrel. Anti-Tribute, who successfully is able to take the Krenos form of a werewolf. She's done it on two separate occasions in an extreme frenzy in defense of her pack. 
and they don't talk about it. Remember I said these are shit kickers. This is a vampire imprint who can go Krenos. I don't need to say any more. I think we understand the destructive aspect of the werewolf war form. Mm-hmm. Apply that to her in a frenzy. You're not right. winning. You should have ran. You should have ran when she started shaking. Then they have Irinyi, which is the first gargoyle imprint. Irinyi is awesome. Her picture for it... I don't know, man. It's always breathtaking to me to see it because the way it was designed, she's not this stone creature that you don't want to talk to quite the opposite she's drawn very beautifully with some demonic angelic aspects to her that you could see someone making a statue of if they were going to but you could tell this was a person right it's very much emotion the way they drew her and even when you talk about her or even when you read about her excuse me it's there's there's a feralness to her but she bonds with people through song that's what she does and what, what i mean by that is is that she's in a band if you can right, imagine right, that. Right, right. She's literally in a band as a theme, and I think that's awesome. Uh, because these are Sabat who, on an individual level, every single one of these characters in here have a full flush background and something to do during the night. They got yeah. they got something going on to them. That is quintessentially the number one problem with every player is that they don't have the guidance to see, well, what do I do with my existence? I'm immortal. Why? We're mortal. We right, got our exactly. nine to, we got our nine to fives in the life, and we really didn't have an idea of what that was like. White Wolf answered that in this book. I think they have done a good job otherwise, but the Camarilla tells you how politically they're set up to fuck over each other. This is the first book where they're like, hey man, Irini is having a hard time. She not remember who she was in life, but she's this, this girl who's really uncomfortable and really just wants to eat a lot of people who end up threatening her, though she loves, is not to do it. But this cool cat named Ezekiel comes along right. and kind of teaches her to calm down and kind of find her way and she ends up getting a crush on old zeke right it's like oh, i was a cute guy but he'll never like me i'm i'm this thing and ezekiel never says that not once you know the thing too that that kind of occurred to me uh i wish that they would have continued to do this style even for the camarilla cities because most of the cities you have a variety of coteries right you have these groups of individuals whether they're elders or their neonates, like that would have been, I think, better, maybe less organized, but I think overall better because what you have here is you have these fully formulated groups and it kind of cuts down the need for that post-clan relationship chart nonsense. Arrow to who and arrow to there. Right, because here you just, you have your packs. Camarilla, you have your coteries. Like to me, this is a superior way to, to do it just because it gives you the ingrained knowledge of how these folks interact. The answer to that is software. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's no, seriously, there was old software where it made it real easy. If I have a bunch of pictures and the relationships between people, um, you can either read the whole book and get bored with the product, or we can make a picture that tells you how someone feels to somebody else <laughs> <Right>. real quick. <laughs> and I think that's that answer. Right. But also, here's the other hang up. It's hard to explain vaniculum, right? These people have a vaniculum to one another, and you have that face like we haven't been recording. So Arinya and Celeste both are two characters that are filled with emotion. Right. Like, they're they're soldiers, but they're they're definitely cool. And one of my favorite love themes that even found its way in this book is between Arinya and Ezekiel. Ezekiel never states exactly one way or the other how he feels about her. I like to think that by the way that guy's built, he absolutely is sweet on old girl. It's just he can't relate to it because Ezekiel is on path of power in the inner voice. He's got shit to do. We don't talk about my, my lady. My lady has no place in my conquest. You know what I mean? We're moving up. We got to stay legit, as they say. So, moving on. We got to point out 
This is where we told you the big plot point. We'll discuss it. Sangree the Serpent in the guise of Santiago de Soto. Well, why they have this guy in here is because a long time ago... Um, what's up? Carry on. No, my book went back to Spanish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago, basically, there's this uh, guy named um, Santiago de Soto who was kicking it with the Navigators originally. He's the founder. And that's why he's the ductist. Pack Priest is, of course, Miguel Santa Domingo, his child. Well, for some reason, this bastard gets caught in between what we like to call the rock and the hard place. Not to give away too much, you're an infernalist, you're in the Sabbat town, you don't want to get caught. You didn't know they were going to find the Inquisition here. Right. You didn't know. And suddenly, the Inquisition's going around kicking indoors and putting the flame to people, looking for you. Because what's the Inquisition? They were founded to do one thing, be the internal police for the Sabbat to combat infernalism. Oh, there's signs. There's signs all over the place. Alfred Benezri is, is one of those cool cats in the Shepherds of Cain we were talking about earlier. And he's, he's the guy who helps sit down with Strathcona and write the rules and laws for the Inquisitors. Right. How do you get past him? Here he is, and that sign of infernalism, do we have Inquisitor Knights? Yeah, there's usually 12 of them. Cool. Bring what we need, and let's find this guy. Well, now you're Sangri the Serpent, the Infernalist. Right. And you're like, oh, well, shit's about to get deep. And by the way, he was the Archbishop before Carolina Velez. He held the title. And he's like, well, I can't lose my power. I'll just, I'll get away with it. I'll get away with it. And nope, he's found out. But he had a backup plan. Ipso facto does a ritual. You can read all about it. I don't necessarily agree with it, but it happened. And it's in the book for that. Um, that he swapped spots with um, the person who was putting him on trial and that of his uh, his body. Mm-hmm. So basically, Santiago de Soto was the one who was putting him on trial and was putting Sangri the Serpent to the flame. Right. And at the moment when Sangri the Serpent's body's dying, the Infernalists made a deal with good old Metathiax, and they swapped spots. What happens in there is that when Metathiax goes to get his body, he didn't know that the Inquisitor made a deal with Barathotl, Metathiax's rival and brother in the Decani. We mentioned him way back in the beginning of this. And Barathotl said, no, I got claim to a soul. Metathiax said, no, I got claim to a soul. They get to fighting. Nobody really knows how to get his soul one way or the other, and they do something with him. We'll leave that where it is. That being the case, you now have a displaced infernalist in the body. Sangri the Serpent is possessing the body of Miguel Santa Domingo. And uh, Santiago de Soto, excuse me. Miguel's is chilled. I do that all the time. Uh, that being the case, as confusing as that is, it gives you a big plot point to fuck with. Right. It says, first and foremost, an easy in, if you need one, is your players can come in and they're here to, because the navigators are acting weird, and go for whatever you're worth there. Whatever plot you wanted. You can have an Infernalist game, where maybe this guy reaches a couple sabat. Oh, absolutely. And he's I, trying to fun it out. Now, maybe. now, um, he, it's, it's, it's kind of weird, because like uh, this, this whole like subplot and all the demonic stuff, I'm usually not a really big fan of. And I feel like, this book is kind of the exception because it was written to be this way. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's ingrained, it's written in. However, there have been umpteen zillion games that I've gone to that they've tried to take this theme and apply it to different cities. You know, it's like especially convention games. How many convention games have you been to where the big baddie at the end was like the demon? You know, and, and, he, and not in their real form. Right, right. This isn't even my final form. Oh, okay, great. So I think I think it's good because this is the one book in the 
whole series that really is kind of like focused on infernalism. And it makes sense why you have an inquisition, where the inquisition comes from. However, I think it's, I think it's, it's good for this. When you watch a horror film, we get to see the bad stuff develop that the good guys usually don't get to see or the survivors. Mm -hmm. I don't really see good guys in horror films. I see people surviving what happens. Right. So in this, they can have an element of cheese, right? It's yeah. like this demon's going to possess this and that girl doesn't know. And some people upstairs will be having sex. Demon's going to possess her and eat him or something. Somebody got killed. Maybe There's the little kid gets out. Oh, who's, who's the hunting priest dude who comes in out of nowhere to say, okay, cool. But that's a movie. When you're doing it in a book, why books are always better? Details. You can draw them out. You can make things make sense. You can justify what's going on. That's why this gets good. They do not give you detail on what the decani can do or what they're about. They just, or they tell you what they're about. They're about disease. Right. That's, that's what they're, it's their, it's their trade is making diseases. Uh, for instance, the black plague was released in, in, in North America because of the decani. And it's something they take very serious, uh, obviously, because they're demons and sort of in the name. Right. So that being the case, this book isn't filled with how to be decani, how to worship and be an infernalist. Doesn't say any of that. It tells you the fate of all infernalists. You do not get to end on a good note. You don't. But it also does talk about the path of evil revelation. That it does. So it gives you guidance on right. how one might play an infernalist. Right. That's pretty sweet. You want to get down and dirty with that, uh, that evil demonic shit? This is the book to go to. And if you're the daring storyteller, tell your player have fun. That's the marker you get to say, how many days does he have left? <laughs> right. It's that simple, because usually players F that up to no end, and that's that's how it is. And why? Because we're players, we're people. We have no idea how to be that evil. And when you stumble through to try, yeah, you get caught. It's yeah. a fun ride. It's just a matter of when you're going to get caught. Right. So keep I mean, that in mind. I mean, let's let's be honest. If if you or uh, you know anybody else had, like, leathery bat wings and f you could fucking shoot fire out of your eyes... You'd probably be lighting a few fires on your way to work. Right. No, <laughs> you yeah. wouldn't have a choice. You would, all you'd have to do is be a demon and knock on my door and go, Bob, I offer you immortality. Bob. And, and riches <laughs> beyond your wildest dreams, Bob. That, that's it. And you would, you would throw it at me and I'd right. be like, oh, man. They'd be well, like, well, two good things happened today. One, uh, I wasn't really like big into the whole God thing. I really never believed, but now I do. Right. And two, well, shit, I can get something for this. Right. right. I get to go outside and go counter offer guy. I was guy? probably already screwed, right? Well, no. Right? <laughs> if a demon showed up to your door, you'd probably fuck it up already. Right. I'd be like, well, all right. <laughs> Seems that you know something I don't, but you said immortal and rich as fuck. You have the tattoo of the devil on your body. <laughs> <laughs> got me there nah dude you would have somebody would show up like a pirate from Pirates of the Caribbean and oh Nate you're I'd dimed keep like your me heart in a box for the next century <laughs> we start a band let's the go the moonlight shall make your flesh rot <laughs> great sweet <laughs> alright um, Shepherds of Cain we went over in advance just know that they're awesome need to get them reads in um, then you have what, where did it go? The librarians. Thank you, yes. Uh, the librarians. Why do we like them? Uh, they're very smart. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're the ones that have all the knowledge. They're cool. Is that the only reason? Oh, no, that bad bitch Sabrina. 
<laughs> that's what they got a cool chicken here, Sabrina. Sabrina is the one who basically made an art form out of ruining people. She's a Tortorini tribute that um, oh, she loves wrecking people completely. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about completely? It's not like she, uh, you know, made you get really, really drunk and lie in a bed and take pictures of you molesting a donkey. That right. would ruin a lot of people. Right. But you can just move, you know. I mean, that, that'll eventually wear off. This is the type of chick who gets you to fall in love with her, to like her, and her black-hearted self would then ask you to do things. Do things to keep her love and her flesh in your life and would make you adore her for it and repeatedly do it. And right now, her current project is Elias the Whale. She's trying to get him to love him completely so in the end, she can, of course, tell him she's not in love with him. Right. And watch what a horrible monster he becomes. Her... Her past art thing, her art project that she did, there was a supermodel. Says in her background that she got to um, believe in her, love her, and everything about her. And she started cutting on herself. Because Sabrina just doesn't, she's not into the whole beauty like everyone else. Sabrina is beautiful. That's boring. She knows what that is. What, she, I mean, it's the type of person who, when I think of role-playing her, it's always telling the player, you know, as you play her, well, what can you do for me? You know, someone who might be right. completely naked sitting in front of you boldly saying, I'm already yours, lover, but I don't know. You're probably not interested in what I like. Oh, far from it. Why? I've already hit you with entrancement. Right. I don't tell you that as a storyteller. I just tell you, dude, and for guys, it's guys or girls, you know, it just depends. If you, ladies, if you were not bisexual, you are right now. <laughs> this is, this is hot since hot was hot right, right in front of you who needs a friend. And she'll sl- and you slow play. You don't ever just whammy it, but you slow play it over time. And you let it go. But then eventually you're going to start asking weird shit. Now, in the case of Immortal, this supermodel, Sabrina set her up with a whole career. People talk to you, stuff to do, places to go. And this model on national television ends up doing something psychotic. Which I believe was cut off her face. It was something like that to get close to her. I'll let you read on to get the facts down because right. it's a great read. But the point is, that's why she's in this book. To what? Show you what a spot monster is yeah absolutely to kind of get what that is down um they have a person named carabim that's in this book which terrifies me also noted in the librarians because it's such a sad story i'm almost afraid to mention in a podcast to be honest um this is this is the character though in my opinion why this is a black dog game i always like to find that that one that was too over the line yeah and and carabim is that because carabim is a child of abuse she was she was abused her whole life. She was abused by every male that ever came encounter with her, like used her like a doll. Like they and her sire was the sicko who was a pedophile, who got her, grabbed her, embraced her, and and tried dolling her up, literally trying to make her look like a a, a little doll yeah. that he would rape and feed from. And he's a vampire and doesn't need to do that, but would. And what about her psyche? Well, she ends up having a very good tale where she wins. And she wins very fantastically and kills her sire in that process. But you got to understand that when she goes to the, ends up with the librarians, um, I'm going to leave it alone. I really, I'm not even comfortable <laughs> talking about it. Just that it's a story that I'm a good hearted person. And, and the fact is, is that I, I applaud the writer who did this. This is the only thing I've ever read. I think in my life where I was paused and I was like, I, I can't even imagine how fucked she ends up getting with a guy. I'll stomach it out. She ends up getting with a guy who's a Nosferatu anti-tribia. Right. And he doesn't judge her for her appearance, which ends up being the attraction. She's an immortal. She's 
almost a century in. She's not the little girl anymore. But that emotional damage is still there. And she can't get away from it. And she hates this guy. She hates him because she loves him. And she hates him because he's a man touching her. And so what happens is, it talks about them as lovers. He doesn't like the fact that he's attracted to her, but he's not seeing her flesh. Right. He's seeing the person in there damaged. Damaged like he is external. And in it, it's beautifully written. It's through pain we found love, but in love it is pain. And when they, when they make love to one another and feed from one another, it's, it's in frenzies. They are literally wounding each other just for the privilege of, of them, but you couldn't get between that. Right. That's a love so violent. I, I would almost dare you in a game to try to make that boring of somebody trying to pull them apart. Good fucking luck. And, and so for me as a storyteller, for me as Bob, dude, I think it's beautiful that, that I would love to see in a movie, but it's tragic as shit. Right. You know, it's one of those, it's hard. It's hard to read. Absolutely. What we have here is the importance of the librarians. So the librarians are of course, a very enigmatic group, very eccentric. They're no exception. Also dangerously close to being infernal. Um, one of them, uh, one can arguably say is already on her way. Marie Ange. I'm going to butcher this name. It's Marie-Eng Gagnon. <laughs> um, Marie-Ange. Marie-Ange Gagnon. I don't know. I, uh, sometimes I like to think if I make a shitty enough accent, I can fake it, but I uh, probably can't. Uh, but regardless, uh, Marie's claim to fame is that she was visited by a mysterious person uh, in her background, literally, it's as if she was only put in this book to represent a tie-in for Sangri the Serpent. Dum right. dum dum. Now, before we dive full tilt into that, just note that she saw him in the, what is known as the Snake Pit. It's the place that uh, Sangri the Serpent used to sleep. Uh, at this point, he's been burnt at the stake, though. Shouldn't be around. Right. Um, it's very weird. What's weirder still is that he bears. It's it's not exactly him. Because in the snake pit, it's Terrence de Beauville's body, but it looks similar to Sangri the Serpent, and she doesn't know exactly what's going on, but Marie has something very dark in her. She wants to learn more. Instead of seeing it and reporting it to your local Night Inquisitor, like any good Sabat member who doesn't want an auto de fe, nobody wins at the auto de fe, um, <laughs> she, she keeps it to herself for reasons unknown. Uh, well, or very much known. She, she's dark-hearted. That's how it goes. Right. Um, enter Molly 8. We told you who writes in the Litany of Blood, right? That the purpose of it, that's awesome. There's also the skin tomes. This is the compassing knowledge of all the various paths that they may have and anyone else who wants to write anything down permanently. Uh, Molly 8. Molly 8's claim to fame is that she is the Zemis in charge of that. Uh, hence her porcelain white skin from constantly shedding her own flesh so that they may write in the skin tomes. Um, her brother later on, or seemed to be paired brother, is known as, well, Skin. <laughs> I mean, I just, just want to point that out. Those those two. But I'm going to describe one important guy, and I'm going to turn over to Nate to explain the very confusing aspect of who Terrence de Beauville slash Sanger the Serpent is. Um, Jacob the Glitch is a experiment. You had a Tremere de Tribu who decided that they were going to discover what's going on with Mount Royale. And they say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get a guy shovel-headed, we're going to get him embraced and get him thrown to the ground, and we're going to dig him out. He's coming out. Right, right. <laughs> one way or another, we're getting him back. Right. Um, funny enough, Metathiac said, well, what do we have here? And in an instant, knew what was going on, and he was like, okay, we're going to let him out. But he scourged all memory from Jacob the Glitch. 
only to make him be basically a receiver for his word. He's literally the mouthpiece of the demon. And what happens is, is Jacob the Glitch spews in every known language, or dead language, excuse me, some, some words. Crazy shit comes out of his mouth. And this pack will stop everything to try to write it down, to try to know what he's trying to say to them, and to let it go. Because the very disturbing property of Jacob the Glitch is that whoever he was, uh, and embrace him when he got put in the ground, whoever he, what he came out to be, is a very powerful thaumaturge. But his powers always change. It's like one moment he's mastered Path of Blood, next moment it's weather control, next moment it's, it's on and on. And he doesn't seem to be particularly strong anywhere else. Like, he can't even defend himself. He can't even feed for himself. This pack takes care of him, but it's because he has these outbursts. Right. And when those outbursts happen, they try to figure him out. And uh, that's, that's their sole point. And, of course, with this grouping is the enigmatic Sangri the Serpent, but in the body of... Santiago de Soto. But really, it's the body of Terrence de Beauville that was used for it because there's some demon play. Nate, you want to shed some light on that? So, so if I if I understand this correctly, Santiago de Soto was the actual, uh, uh, the the actual Knight Inquisitor, right? That put Sangri up to the question, basically yep. the the auto de fe, and. From how I understand it, and we kind of explained it a little bit earlier, but from how I understand it, Sangris created a ritual, enacted that ritual, and at the point of his death, he swapped places. So, Sangris the Serpent, his soul is in Santiago de Soto's body. Santiago de Soto went to Sangris's body, and Sangris was killed, right? The body of Sangris was killed. DeSoto then essentially had to work these two demons off of each other. Right. And he was given the ability to go back to the the world of the living in old dude's body. What was his Terrence name? Terrence de Beauville. In in Terrence's body. And just a refresher, we said back at the beginning, Terrence de Beauville was the was possessed by Metathiax. He's that weird Torador that came over. Right. With the whole church folk that the Hurons were like, you go now. And it didn't work out. So then what Metathiax did was he changed Terrence's body to look more like Sangris and started fucking with DeSoto's brain so that DeSoto thinks he's Sangris. At times, he's not sure exactly who he is. So it's essentially as if DeSoto failed because Sangris is still alive, but Sangris is still alive in DeSoto's body. And DeSoto, it's like, it's a clusterfuck. What's, what's cool about it is what you have here is demonic play, right? You have Metathiax who said, okay, you're screwing me out of my deal. His soul's mine. Sangri's soul's mine. That's his body, the soul, and it's mine. Balathotl knows whose soul it is. And he's like, no, you lying piece of shit. That's, that's my soul. My domain, my soul. That's mine. So I get him. And as they're bickering and neither will yield this new game gets played and they both agree to it because that way it's going to determine who gets what for all time. And Metathiax, devils in the details, attaches some claws, right? I don't mean claws like sharpened were werewolf claws. I'm talking claws like in read the bottom line. And what happens is he messes with his form, right? Changes the form to look like somebody who would be basically killed on sight. Right. Because clearly you're infernal. Because Or as a meese with a very sick, we'd have to investigate you. It begs for it. But we're going to put you somewhere where you don't have your memories to make it even harder. 
Because as Metaphyaks, I want you to run around and just get killed. Because you get, get killed now, you're mine. Right. I agreed to put you back. I didn't say how you were going to get set up. And that's the deal. Strangely, though, where he gets put back, don't people just get in the way? <laughs> right where he starts going to, this pack takes him in and is hiding him. Because they're already hiding Jacob the Glitch. Here's another piece of the puzzle. You have Marie's dark interest that is just interesting. Right. Seeing it all. And cool enough, you have Molly Abe's writing it all down. That's what I like about that whole setup. It's right. like its own TV show if you wanted it to be. Uh, so, it's absolutely, it's uh, it's kind of layers upon layers upon layers. Which makes it good. Uh, here we come to the Queens of Mercy, which this pack fascinates me. Uh, the Queens of Mercy are naturally, I shouldn't say naturally, but by the name, um, this is not a bunch of nuns who have decided to take mercy and pity on people in the Sabbat. What this is, there's a strong gay community um, in, um, in Montreal, and according to this book, In the World of Darkness, I have no doubt, you know, they have that there too, but the, the fact is, is that they are fiercely protective of that community. Uh, Sebastian Goulet is a very interesting guy, and why they bring it up is because his own background is, again, tragic. Um, he's somebody who, just for being gay in a time where I guess was the wrong idea, people get aggressive towards his community, and you've seen the abuses and the torments and the rapes and things go unchecked by the authorities, the whole nine. But when he becomes a vampire and is empowered... And his sire sees it too, and he's and that's part of it. They become a faction. They're a group that basically are there to fight for the rights. I don't want to say fight for the rights. They're not crusaders, but they're drawn to that community. That community is seen as theirs. They influence it, they're a part of it, and they're about it. What I like about it, because other than that, it's really not that impactful, except that that itself is impactful, right? Right. That very essence, because it shows you're embraced from where you came from, right? A lot of people tackle being a vampire as in I, I can't possibly go back to what I was right the most common theme I would say is I'm a vampire now well I get away from my family I pack up shop and I move and go elsewhere so I can't hurt or damage them and that's that this is like on the reverse where Sebastian is kind of like I didn't say he's a hero I'm not painting him one way or the other because I don't want to color your interpretation of him when you read him because I've heard too and I agree with both points and uh the point is is that Goulet goes back to his community because he sees him as a strength, a source of belonging, but also knows how to manipulate that source. Right. And so he's he's very much into it, and that's that that's what he does. And uh, his whole pack kind of has that feel uh, to it. You then have uh, Alex uh, Camille. Alex Camille is like the hidden MacGuffin um, in the whole thing. He's he, he doesn't like being Sabat. Very weird to me. He plays the part. But he's in this, and that's weird to me. Cool, right? Not all Sabat want to be there. like. Think about it. <laughs> right. You're bound to have someone who's like, "This sucks." Especially in a in a city of this capacity, this size, when you have this many different, really dark, sinister characters. Yeah, you're gonna find a guy or two who's like, "Ugh, this is not really what I had in mind for the rest of my days." For those listening to it, because it's an ongoing battle with how to role play humanity. This guy's humanity of four. I want to point this out. It's on a sliding scale. He is rather bestial. Um, but what we mean by Bichel is that he's, um, he's, he's given up some aspects of his humanity of normalcy, right? And um, you need to know that because this guy is a very well-painted example of what somebody with four humanity would be like. You know, he doesn't like what he's becoming. He realizes it sucks. He's fighting against it. But he also knows he doesn't fit in anymore. People wouldn't consider him normal or a friend except he's now around those, especially in his pack, that see that as a weakness. It's weak that you're hanging on to it. And we would do things to you if we knew how you were, 
and we'd make you be like us. That is a truth to the Sabbat. And he knows it. So he avoids eye contact, how they tell you to role play him. He walks the streets, just kind of. I feel like it's a very much like the Lost Boys to Michael scenario. Yes. You know, like we, we're, we're totally we're totally cool with what we are. We love it. We love every minute of it. We're always young. We never get old. And Michael's like, I've got a family. And yeah, I mean, it was kind of cool at first, but um, I just watched you guys murder a bunch of folks at the beach. I'm not really <laughs> super down with all this. We gotta gotta let that go though. That's the that's the horse they have, and mm-hmm. Alex is a great character for it. Um, rolling to our favorite pack, hands down, without question. It's it's Ezekiel, and well, it's twenty five seventeen is the name of the pack, right? I would shake the hand and send flowers to whoever made this pack, and I fucking hate you at the same time. <laughs> they are so good that I I have probably used this pack more times in games I've ran. In, in just silly Easter egg ways, just to feel better about myself, just to say I've I've had it. I've had I had we had a game session where I got to be a part of twenty five seventeen, yeah. And it was, dude, I felt like a fanboy. We, was, I mean, when it comes to this pack, we kind of do fanboy out a little bit. Oh, you got like, to like this. This pack is uh, they're veterans of the siege of Chicago, so like they have a history that goes back. But here, we see them for all that they're worth, and yeah. Like Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, like when I so I'm a huge you may not know this huge huge Pulp Fiction fan, but I really didn't even catch the reference for like the first couple of years after reading right. this. <laughs> I was just like, oh, that's that's a weird name for a pack. I don't really. And then like one day it clicked, and I was like, I'm a moron. Which funny enough, that's how I liked Pulp Fiction. When I first saw it, and they mentioned Ezekiel twenty five. So I was like, what? <laughs> oh that's fucking awesome right it was it was cool uh but the fact is is ezekiel is called the lord of montreal he's not really he's uh sitting as a bishop i believe at this point yes he's um, uh, one of the bishops he's uh his, his whole pack motif first off their black hand and uh they're they're considered ultra conservative right uh this they believe that uh the sabbat's being bred in a weakness that they're not disciplined enough. They're, they're going at the wrong angles. You have the widows, fucking everybody. Their life's a party. You have the the wretched Diab and whatever they get their hands on. And God knows what they're becoming. Sabine's ruining her own fucking sacked mates because she gets off on it. They're, you guys are soldiers. We have a purpose. You're sitting on your hands. We are to act. Right. That is our point. And Ezekiel is so good at these speeches, these firebrand speeches that there are more than than a few people who are behind him. I I just want to I just want to say and maybe this should be reserved for a different podcast, but I don't care. This pack and the characters in this pack are by far my favorite thing written for the Sabbat in the entirety of this game. Ab- agreed. Every single character I want to like go party with them. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> like I completely think this is this is an awesome pack. There's not a wasted member in this pack. You want to you want to talk about brotherly love? When Ezekiel gets embraced, he automatically stands with Soldat backing him uh, in the pack moving forward. And they don't have Resifatir yet, but this pack is so good under Ezekiel's leadership. Understand, Soldat's the oldest and and arguably the most powerful, mm-hmm. but he takes a backseat because what is a Ductus? A Ductus is a military leader. We'll check that box, but a Ductus can also lead the heart of his people. Right? Can do it. Ezekiel pretty much does both. 
Yasmin the Black is the priest, but I say that with a question mark. Right. Because she could not could be or not be. Ezekiel could be both. And the point is, he's so charismatic and powerful. He's literally what the Sabbat want out of every single member. And he can't I can't talk and I can't blow this dude enough verbally I, and as I, to how good he is. I, I can say like for me, I have never been a huge fan of the Tremere, right? And that's probably a unique trait to me. I don't dislike them, but I've never been a huge fan. However, I have always liked the Tremere Antitribio. I love the idea of them. And to me, this character, like uh, um, Yasmin the Black, just like is the coolest. Yep. I, I, I really dig it. And th- like these are characters that are like, yeah, they're badass motor scooters, but like they're honor bound, aggressive, badass motherfuckers. How honor bound? How aggressive? Let's nail this on the head, shall we? I'm gonna roll down this list real quick. Resifatir initially was dispatched by someone under contract as an Asimite loyalist to kill 2517, literally end them. Mm-hmm. And 2517, he leads a one man war against the pack because the Asimites are gods. Okay, (laughs) they don't breed weakness from the mountain. When he comes, he comes at him hard, but they fight just as hard to stay alive. And he's slowly becoming impressed because it's Ezekiel who fights him the hardest when he shows up. When he comes around, it's it's that. And when it looks like he was about to kill a pack member, it's Ezekiel who also convinces him and says, hey, it's you and me. Fuck this. It's for all the cards in the table. And Reza agreed. He agreed so heartily. It wasn't even something like an agreement. I'm paraphrasing, so I'm trying to go off of memory. You read for the better story, but what I'm going to tell you is these two fight for an entire night. That is what happens. They fight until they can't. And what ends up being is that in the end, Reza Fatir is seen as winning, but he doesn't kill Ezekiel. By the t- and he literally separates him and gets his fight with Ezekiel, but he doesn't kill him. He leaves. He leaves because Ezekiel during that fight was preaching the gospel. You know, basically telling them, you know, you fight for a clan that sent you here to die on your own. My pack will find me and you may kill me. They will be about your life. You don't get to walk away. I have true brotherhood. I have loyalty. What do you have? You die slow, cold and alone is what happens from this point. That's if you can kill me. Right. And Reza couldn't. He couldn't easily defeat him. And he's facing someone who he's older than that much. He knew. And more importantly, this 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 man he was fighting fought with honor straight up on her didn't try to run didn't mealy mouth his way out of it was telling him you are me and you need to see it and in the end was right Reza Fatir decided to come back the next night and he tells the pack that he's going to join them absolutely I can't even fathom you listen to the podcast and the Asimites that's why Reza Fatir is my favorite character in the world of darkness shocker right. he portrayed them I don't give a shit <laughs> the fact is right. he came back and said not only am I going to join you but in order to join you, we must kill that which mistakenly brought me into the fold with my eyes blinded. And the pack agreed. They got together, they found Reza's sire, and they killed him. Right. And then that was a sacrament to prove himself to 2517. That is the only story you need to know about this pack. <laughs> but there's more. Right. What happens? Oh, yeah, Ezekiel, your sire is an infernalist. That means you're going to get an auto de fe. What does 2517 do? Fuck your auto de fe. Right. right, Ezekiel's our leader. You want to put him through? You put us all through. You don't put one of us through. You put us all through. We get the same time. We all man up. We to- torture every one of us. And the Inquisition was like, I don't think they're infernal. 
<laughs> like I don't everyone else runs and screams right, I mean, and don't do this and look what they've done for the sect. I um, mean, even even the woman in her group kind of walked up and said, What what nipple you want to start on? Like, I mean, this is what do you do with that? You know, yes, and the black is hardcore Tremere anti-tribute. Mm. So much so that even in canon, when the anti-tribute gets smoked, not her. She's with the black cat in 2517. They don't it, they don't. Right. So um yeah, that's them. Their importance in Montreal is that they basically set it up to where his only rival, this is Ezekiel's, is the Shepherds of Cain and Alfred Benezri. Because they, you know, one's moderate, one's ultra conservative. And that's that's gonna cause some static. Yep. And then moving on, we have uh Les Orphelins. Orphelins. Sorry, that's that's rude, but the orphans, essentially. And Pierre Bellamore P- Pierre Bellamare. You have it. Um, what can we say about Pierre Bellamere that hasn't been said about uh, um, Iraq? Right. Not to mention, badass hand tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, again, we, we get some more of this awesome, awesome artwork. And it leads you to believe that every vampire in the city is just tribal tatted up their wazoo. Um, but uh, you have this this badass Bruhai and tribute. Uh, who also happens to be, um, I don't know, what would you call him? A paragon of the path of evil revelations? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so much of a paragon. They have a member named Cairo the Lost, who's an inquisitor. What's the first thing he did? He enslaved her. <laughs> right. That's She <laughs> knows she should kill him. She hates him. Yep. But she can't, due to her slavery, raise a hand against him. Pierre Bellamare is no joke. And that's the that's the effectiveness of it. Um, then, of course, they have a pack priest, so on and so forth. But the point is, is Pierre Bellamare slowly corrupting this entire pack. Yeah. As you should, because you're an infernalist. Right. That, that's uh, that's the, the truth of the matter, is that uh, this guy is like the conduit, the jack-booted soldier of the demon Metathiax. And then, of course, we have the Wretched, which we've talked about a little bit previously. Yep. Their pack priest being one of their most notable members. This is uh, Stephanie Ahero. Faboon, pronouncing it correct? Probably not, but there was the attempt. Um, Stephanie's cool because uh, she's the queen of all things, just, oh my god. So, have you ever seen, and this is a rhetorical question because I know you have, but this is more, uh, um, have you ever seen Return of the Living Dead 3? Um, do you remember the woman who is kind of like half zombie, and she has to continue to jam metal objects into her body to like stave off that hunger? That's very much the visual impression I get of this character. I like, think that's, I didn't even, I, it's going to make everyone laugh, but I didn't even get that correlation until you said it, and I keep nodding my head because all the tropes are there. Yeah. She has rebar rammed alongside her bones to make her more resistant to flame. She took um, uh, metal bits throughout her body and shoved them through uh, as an artistic form of expression uh, to herself. She's a Zemish trying to evolve. And she believes the evolution is going to be through pain, that her body will naturally adapt to the harm she's afflicting on herself. Um, she's like self-blinded at times. She wears a crown mocking Christ, uh, composing of metal bits that just dig into her scalp. And uh, that's... Well, and then the, the interesting thing about it, too, is that uh, you would think she'd be like on path of metamorphosis. Not at all. She's on powered inner voice. Which makes sense. Power in her voice is spouse's strength through the self. Right. You know, she's seeking to evolve to a different form, which if you remember back to the Zemisi clan, they mentioned that there are people like her 
yeah. that exists doing that very same thing, and here she is. Uh, then we have uh, our our old favorite Elias the whale, and uh, his his good buddy Spider. <laughs> so, what can we say about this particular pack about this coven? I like, think this coven there there are co- coven of oddities. There's not a pack that's been made in this book that sucks. First and foremost, our favorite being twenty five seventeen. Ah, uh, the wretched are definitely there. Right. With, that, with, that's. It. I mean, it, that those are our favorites among like all great packs. Yes. That that's it's hard for anybody to go. This is my favorite because these other ones suck because they they really don't. No, it's they're really well done. I mean, Elias is a master of sewers, and I just want to point that out. Uh, he said that because literally he swims through Montreal and he gets there very very quickly because he knows the places. You know, he's a nos. It's what he does. Uh, spider is spider. Um, Spider's another tragic background ties in a little bit to the uh, the homosexual nature of some of the sabbat. Uh, some of the community that is in Montreal that they have, uh, that niche subculture, um, they embraced from it. And it's said that Spider might have been in the closet, but it's he has a frail approach to it now. Like he hunts them like a spider would because that's what he is in his mind. Right. Um, and because of that, people are understanding, and in particular Elias the Whale. Even the book, it's, it's shown where Elias is standing behind Spider. Spider has his arms crossed in front of his chest and very protectively... Elias has a hand on him to just reassure him. Let him know that tragically we're monsters, but brother, we're a family. And that's it. There's understanding there. That's what makes this great. And something to note, how did he get that way? Stephanie. Stephanie has an evolution ritual that works because she's a Kuldun. What, Bob? A Kuldun? She has the Kuldun power? No, person of who may say that question. (laughs) If you read what Kuldun means, it simply means witch. That's what it means. They practice magic. And in the Zemis clan book, the often misunderstood thing is that if there's a practitioner of Kuldun, or considered a Kuldun, when the book said most Zemisi were, they thought, oh, we all have this elemental magic tied from the Kapala. No, dude. It means they probably have Thom. Right. That's it. Which, they which commonly have you know, she, she does. And so that ritual, what it does is that it takes people and it makes them more like their inner self, their evolved self. And so Elias the Whale evolved to be what he is so did spider um there's another one who underwent the ritual whose name escapes me at this moment but that's okay don't have to get them all but it's it's she's influential yeah uh, in the group then we get to the the outsiders right these are packs that refuse to be sort of uh, encapsulated by the politics of the city they exist outside of that bubble so those packs those are all very deep into the political spectrum of what Montreal is. I've said that nothing White Wolf has ever made or written has just scared me until this guy. Um, the artwork for Marciad Zanovich, the Angel of Cruelty, will always terrify me. His background with this guy, it, it scares me because I, I resonate with this character. That if there was one character I could play in a world of darkness, frighteningly successful would be this guy. The reason being is because not because I'm in particularly cruel, but because I feel that the opposite, right? I can definitely get what this guy uses. His outlook. He stares at people like they're projects. Like they're nothing to him. He's someone... He's like the only being that could get along with Vicos. Yeah. You know what I mean? The right. only one that could sit in a room with Vicos and be like, Oh, yes, I agree with you. That man in the corner, I would do... I don't know necessarily if I would give him gills, but I definitely think he belongs underwater. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> to see how long he would last and use his parts, whatever... But Zarnovich is on his own to follow his path accordingly, and he makes his circus. 
It's literally called Zarnovich's Circus. Now, here's where we're going to lose some people, especially those who have issues with clowns. Um, Zarnovich, in his many cruelties, he he is the one that gets all the oddities. He loves getting them. Has right, to have them. Right. Including a guy called Midget. That's his name. And um, I don't think we need to even go into that guy. I think you know why he has them and what he might look like based right. on that. Um, there's another one who is um, the card-carrying, terrifying person in the Sabat book, usually. The, I believe it's the storyteller's guy the Sabat in the back has a picture of a mime who isn't, you know, just looks like bloody as shit. It isn't there. It's often assumed it is this character. Tears. You have it. Uh, Tears, the twisted pirouette. And uh, that's uh, a pirouette. Is, isn't it, is that the word? I, I don't a, a, speak French, but it could be like Pierrot. Pirouette. Uh, yeah. Pirouette's like a bow. I don't know. But I, anyway, I know. that's we the point. We apologize. We we don't know French. Uh, we do. And we were going to take it, but uh, we keep saying it. And then Pero, we're like, we'll never I, use I'm French on a podcast. I'm never going to learn French. I, we're sorry, France. That's all we're saying. We're but. also sorry, Canada. Or at least we're sorry, Montreal. We're much more sorry, Canada, than we are France. Right. Because France, we didn't. Hit we like Canada. Canada. France, I don't know. I've never been there. I don't know. I haven't been there. A bunch but of people Canadians like that. Nice. Me too. Canadians are nice. French are cool. Yeah, yeah. I French mean, are sure. Cool. They play sure. They could be. I mean, I, mean, I, don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything about anyone's specific nationality or where they're from. But I and also we, don't know. And French. we're teasing each and every one of you. <laughs> it's just we are ignorant to how to pronounce these words. So, um, tears. Pretty much. I, honestly, there's not much written about them because I truly believe Zarnovich is the show, and he grabbed them to fit into his circus. Literally, for you to go there and enjoy the oddities, so he can study you and see where you belong amongst them right which is why he terrifies to me this is like a less detailed but more satisfying version of the midnight circus that doesn't travel truth yeah i i I could definitely do without the midnight circus truth sorry to fans we haven't done the midnight circus no because that's a standard world of darkness book that'll probably get shuffled in under books no one gives a shit about. god is that gonna be fun to review sorry we're revealing a little bit about ourselves in this extra long podcast yep uh, we said it was gonna be it's our favorite book and then and then of course we have the pack les miserables what can be said about a pack that has toy yeah yeah uh, we have, we have skin. So here's a guy who in life had a, 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 a disorder, right? A mental issue with thinking that, uh, his, his skin disease was caused by bugs under his skin and spent most of his time, uh, tearing chunks of his own flesh off and someone embraced him. We have Muse, we have Toy. Like, this pack, clearly, Cray. Importance of Muse. Muse isn't called that for fun. Muse is the only one that could sing to the entities that live under Mount Royal. Um, we don't care if we ruin it for you, and this is a review. Uh, but under Mount Royal, all the failed creation victims, they went somewhere, they just didn't come up. <laughs> yeah. And they like to bleed into the sewers often, and they like to hunt things. We mentioned sometimes people got attacked in the woods by things. Yeah. And they were called the unknown. No, it was these it was these things. And Muse, strangely, is able to sing to them to calm them down. And she frequently can be found singing into the sewers creepily, and wherever she likes, and she does it for that very reason. And uh, she doesn't know why they're out there. It isn't. Uh, they don't write her as in knowing the Inferno. They write her as 
I think, beautifully, like a lot of Greek tragedies do. If you can imagine if there was a maiden that was that went out to the beach to sing to Charybdis. I might I might have to really also put a note on here, too. Um, this may be the only daughter of Cacophony I've ever seen, like, in print as a character. Uh, I'm sure there are other ones out there, but none others that I can recall, and definitely none in the Sabbat. Here's, I think they wrote her and said, she's awesome. I wonder what else everybody else can come up with. And so we'll make a clan out of her. And then they were like, well, maybe she should have been a one-off. <laughs> well, so, I, well I, I digress. We, we but, know, we know by our review that she's not the, she's not the first because the, she, they, they were one of the bloodlines from first edition. However, this is the, f- the only one I can recall seeing in print um, actual character write up. I'd like to think she was always the one. And that's, and that's me because I've never, ever, ever have even used a daughter cacophony other than her. Right. So that's that's that. And then we have Valois saying the watcher. You wonder who made the glitch, who put the glitch through his paces. This piece of shit may have had a hand in it. I'm just saying uh, because the Tremere are profoundly interested in what's going on. In I, Montreal. I, I like this very much because it seems to be like a reflection of your normal Camarilla city. Where you're like, ah, oh, man, they got like that one Sabat guy hanging out. Right. Could you imagine being the one Camarilla <laughs> asshole just hanging out in Montreal like, so they left me in charge, huh? <laughs> but yeah, good for him. Fucking Tremere. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, he's literally there uh, just to test the Sabat strengths, and one of them was to wonder what's going on. When- yeah, and then, uh, you know, at the end of the book here, it gives you some, you know, very simple ideas on how to set up a chronicle out of this book. And then it gives you the some information on the Sabbat Inquisition. Um, it's good for this point in time. Um, I believe in the revised Sabbat book, the Guide to the Sabbat, they're going to get a little bit more detailed about the Inquisition, and um, they'll definitely get more involved in the Black Hand because there's going to be a whole book, which I don't know why they waited so long to do a Black Hand book, but um, it'll get reviewed. Honestly, honestly, because the soldier aspects. I mean, the Sabbat's hard enough running a soldier game, but this book gives you an idea of how to run covens and how to make a wherewithal or even a traveling nomadic pack with the depth. Um, Once you get to the idea that we're all playing black hand, we're clearly running missions. You know, that's a mission based game. If you're not running missions, what are you playing? And that's and that's the goal. I mean, you could play a deep game, but I really feel that the interest there, everyone wants to be part of. Mission Impossible when it comes to Black Hand. I don't do it to, to decry them. I've played Black Hand games. I've ran Black Hand games. So have you. They're a lot of fun. It's yeah. just when it comes to longevity, there hits a point where it's like, cool, your stories are done. We can't. Yeah. The A-team isn't still going. Well, and, and I think uh, the Black Hand really works well as a storyteller tool. Yep. Um, it can be, I, I don't know, this is just my opinion, but maybe a little less fun as a player tool. Um, but you know, you can work any, there's, I mean, it's a million different opportunities to work out anything fun, but, agreed. um, yeah. So that pretty much brings us to a wrap up of Montreal by night. Um, we hope that you enjoyed the podcast. Um, anything else you wanted to add there, Robert? I want to say, I know it was extra long. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. It's something we were passionate about and believe it or not, why we went so brief over the build of the city and the history and getting all the minutiae down detail-wise, we wanted to, but we knew the covens were going to eat a, a chunk of it. Right. And the explanations therein, we know why you're listening. It's to get to what they built for the Sabbat, and that's what you got. Well, we had, we had uh, I don't remember who it was, and I apologize for this, but there was one person who was like, oh, I hope it's two and a half hours. I hope it's five hours. And I was like, Montreal by night, who knows? 
Um, but yeah, obviously this is one of our favorite books and this is a book that was released right before revised came out. Um, so there is a little bit of disparity between like how the Sabbat is revised, um, and where this book kind of lies. However, I feel like it's a little bit more relevant now that we're in V20 and we've kind of gotten rid of all of the Gehenna plot stuff from the revised right. edition. So I'm going to tell you like this from storyteller to player, from player to player, this is a must buy book. Like I think if you want to run a Sabat game, um, obviously there's a Mexico city by night book. I think this is a superior product personally. What's funny is I've purchased this Montreal by nine book four times, full price. <laughs> um, I ran a, an all Montreal game where I wanted all the players to read and get a background and borrowed them out. And I bought two extra, so that was three. I went to Gen Con once, and it was the last one that they had up there, and I bought it just because. It really irritated me that there was a last copy left right. at Gen Con, and someone's going to get out of here. Fans away. Well, no, that it, book should be on every shelf. It, it, it really should. I mean, this is the first and, and best view of the Sabat as a playable functioning city element so they have marilyn manson in a bathroom wearing a a bloody dildo i'm sorry. A strap on thing and it's it's i'm laughing because we call it marilyn manson but yeah, it's, it's a type of artwork yeah, to it find it. A, it's definitely a female um but yeah i mean the, this is the infamous bloody dildo book um <laughs> the only thing you can ever remember it i know that there was the the infamous pussy face yeah. of the Zemisi clan if it's which and, by- and, well, and then too, like the the Fomori book has some infamous sexual uh, organ drawings as well. But we got to wait for that, right? We do have to wait for that. But yes, Black Dog. If nothing else, they're good for fitting at least one or two overtly disturbing sexual images into their books. And this one, no doubt, satisfies uh, if you're a creep like that. And to me, definitely Black Dog book. This is because they tackle social themes um, hard. Yeah. Right? They bring things to the fore that our own society considers taboo, obviously, no doubt against the law, but definitely difficult to look in the face. The aspects and challenges of role-playing through those themes, um, they're there, and what that might look like. And that, of course, makes this the total package book. Alrighty, so, to wrap that up, thank you guys for listening. Next week, we will be reviewing Revelations of the Dark Mother. So, I don't really know how that's gonna go, because here's some truth. I've never read it. This will be a first for me, so... I'm going to very rapidly read it over the week, and uh, yeah, we'll be reviewing it. I, be- I believe Revelations of the Dark Mother is like a book of Nod type of book that uh, is kind of like a like a the other side of a coin of like a book of Nod, right? If, uh, I'm gonna let you read it, Nate. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, you go ahead and you. I mean, we're not. We're not gonna. Was, he, was he gonna allow. not let me read it? No, 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 it's not that. What I mean is, what I mean is, I'm not going to taint your impression uh, of the fair book. Enough, fair Let's enough. Let's just say you've never heard me utter the book. Fair enough. We're gonna read it. Um, we'll see what kind of opinions I have about it, and uh, hopefully they completely clash with Bob's, and we can be aggressively contradictory. Anyways, uh, thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Stay tuned for Nerd Words, which we release on Sunday. Um, we'll probably talk more about Montreal and some other stuff. Uh, until next week, I'm Nathan. And I'm Bob. And we love you all. Je m'appelle Robert Barton.